Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Uncommon People podcast. This is the show about ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We've all lived our own lives, and I believe we have so much worth sharing in each of them. And I want to listen to these stories and learn from them. If you think you are ready to have this sort of conversation and give others the chance to listen to it and learn from it, please reach out to me. My website is joeltimothy.co. My contact info is up there for you so you can get in touch. This is the episode number six, and I'm chatting here with David Burleson. I hope you stick around for the whole conversation and that you get a lot from it and learn something. And in the meanwhile, here is episode number six of the Uncommon People podcast. that same intro song for every recording yes yeah the intro is um by my friend seth who i met in sydney uh-huh. uh he did this challenge project for himself for a while where he was trying to write and make something every day so every day he was posting to instagrams a song of about 45 seconds to a minute and posting that and i would listen to all of them and i was thinking about getting um an intro like what was i going to use on the podcast and i thought it would be super cool to have something from a friend um and yeah so he sent me a bunch of different tracks and i i chose that one and it's what i put in in the intro and outro of everyone yeah so if you heard the intro that's seth morris's music (laughs) Hey Seth. <laughs> so, so did you listen to any of it? Before? I, I, I listened to like the first one you did for like five or ten minutes, and then I, I skipped around and listened to another one just bits uh-huh. and pieces. I didn't have enough time to actually like crunch down and yeah. listen to one all the way through. Uh huh. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a Do lot. you listen to any other podcasts? Are you I listen to Joe Rogan. Right. A decent yeah. amount at work. A lot. Watch like the snippets, or if it's somebody that I'm really interested in, I'll watch the whole segment. So you are in a position with your job where you can listen to something while you work. Absolutely. Um, usually, I'll just pull it up on YouTube. I'll have it playing in the background. Okay. Um, or I'll have music on while I'm listening. It's are just, you in an office or a yeah, cubicle? Or? Cubicle. Okay. And everybody kind of has their space and they're doing their thing. Yeah. And, he's and honestly, like, and especially in like the branch that I'm located in, it's very lenient on. I guess just like music policy in general, like people will have uh-huh. like set up like JBL speakers, Bluetooth speakers, and they'll just be blasting, you know, whatever music they want. And that's uh-huh. highly encouraged because they're trying to maintain a high level, high energy atmosphere okay. um, with truck brokers and everything. Cause it's kind of stressful. So they, they want to be able to be able to, you know, vent and whatever in healthy ways. And yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh huh. That's pretty good. I guess I, I don't know practically how that plays out in like the, big picture of what everybody is like in there with being able to do that and then also potentially hearing other people's stuff but it's cool i guess that they want people to be able to enjoy themselves in that way because mm. i've definitely been in other office experiences where it was not that way where everybody was sort of just very quiet and nobody really talked very loud and you walked from one desk to the other and it was just quiet we had their earbuds in and um 
it felt like you were just sort of, if, especially if you didn't have anything busy going on, it was just hours dragging by waiting for, you know, lunch or to get off your clock. Yeah, I can see uh, how that would be. So maybe they're like coming from a background of, for for the people making those decisions and building their their offices in that way for their workers, I can see that being kind of something they learned from and wanted to move away from. So, hey, this is what we've seen this sort of environment function like, and it seems quiet and dull and lacking energy, and we want people to have fun at work and have energy and stay awake. So we're going to move more in this direction. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, that's that's even coming down from like higher management. They're like, they want this atmosphere for their employees for this branch based on sort of their trajectory and projection of what they want to accomplish, you know. Um, so I think that aspect is, is actually effective. Uh, and, I, and I've definitely met different people who enjoy different atmospheres at work. Some people actually prefer the more quiet. Um, they don't really they don't like distraction. And so mm-hmm. having being in a high energy atmosphere, um, is more difficult for them. Also, some of it is also learned and you kind of adapt to the environment you find yourself in. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that to be true for me because I, like I thought I liked more of a subdued atmosphere until I got into the high, high energy atmosphere. And then I realized, you know, standing up at your desk and working and having loud music playing is actually like more enjoyable. For that me. works better for you. Yeah. I definitely prefer having music on. Working in silence, no matter what I'm doing, is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because I just end up thinking about other things too much. Uh, music turns into sort of white noise for me, and that's helpful, but it can also be very creatively inspiring. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, say, working on photos, it's very helpful for me to, say, be in a coffee shop listening to either the music or just the noise of what's going on around me or having headphones on, which I don't do quite as much anymore. But I was doing that yesterday, working on photos and listening to music. It's just, I don't know, it gets me in a rhythm. Like I remember when I was a dishwasher and I started listening to music while I worked, I started feeling more efficient. Like I was actually, my physical movements were more effective because I was working to the rhythm of the music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It was so much fun. So that was an adjustment for you. Had Did you come from before and what you were doing for work? Was it a sharp contrast to the yes. kind of energy that you were in? For sure. Now? Yeah. Uh, different building, um, different different branch, just different. It, it, it's, it's weird how that works, how like within one company you can have like two extremes like that where under one under one management it's like they sort of have these ideals of what they think you know performs best and mm-hmm. you know more stricter policies and then in another branch same company they're like we want our employees to be able to free flow and have more creativity so we're going to just loosen up and let people express themselves and have higher energy it's different you know it's, it's interesting that way yeah um i've also heard similar things about people who are more into like it or programming you know job careers it tends to be more free-flowing um with a lot more you know they have a lot more flexibility in their work and everything and that the idea is to promote more creativity um 
So that's always been always been interesting to me. And what is it that you're doing? Are you doing IT or what is what is I'm your I'm doing customer service. Okay. So it's it's correspondence with customers over email, phone, and solving problems, making things happen. Okay, gotcha. So how do you feel about JB Hunt? We'll 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 give them a name. We'll give them a name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I enjoy them. Yeah. They've been good to me. Um, I don't have a long career history, and certainly this is my first office job that I've ever had. I've been there for like two and a half years at this point. Um, but before that, I was working at I worked at a, a wear, clothing warehouse for mm-hmm. a while. For and uh, so I, I've been working at bottom of the barrel jobs. I never had a you know a college degree or anything. Um, I did trade school for a year because I thought that's what I wanted to do, but found out that. I took a course in machine tool technology. Okay. And um, I found out that machining and working in a factory just wasn't for me. Like, the subject interests me. I love making things. I like working with tools and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, the current job market just isn't there. It's like everything is computerized and optimized for, you know, programming and CNC machining. And I didn't learn those skills at the school I went to. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found out that basically for that entire year I, I was learning something that I wasn't ever able to, to use in practical real life or at least in the job market um, so I got out of that and then I was just you know well anybody who can hire me and I'll, I'll work and do that and as long as I like the people I'm working with I was pretty comfortable mm-hmm. um, for a, about a couple of years into my, my career work life going to school starting a job I was still work, living at home Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I was making minimum wage or very low wage at a job, I was still saving a, a good amount of money because I didn't have very many expenses. So yeah. it worked for me. You know, if I'd been living on my own, that probably I probably would have had a much harder time. Um, but I started out at a very entry level at JB Hunt, and um, I've, I've worked my way up from there over the last two years. But having that opportunity, that window to get in, mm-hmm. even at like a bottom level, has provided opportunities for me. Like now I'm, I have something, I have a little bit more of a, I guess you would say a resume or um, history of work mm-hmm. where I can say, okay, so this is, I, I have a little bit more, I guess, self-confidence for approaching new opportunities saying like, okay, so I've done this. I know what that's like now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I can function in this environment. I know I can do well. I can perform. So it gives me just a boost of confidence. That's um, good. That's super important, I think. Because yeah. I don't have that really. Because my my work background has been very... Um, it hasn't changed a whole lot. I haven't done a lot of dif- different jobs. My first job was working in a kitchen at a hospital. Um, so I was doing food service stuff. Um in a little bit of a different customer service sort of manner just because our customers were hospital patients. So it was a little different in that sense. But still customer service, food service, beverages, like food and beverages essentially what I've been in until I got my job with mm-hmm. the bank. And even now it's still customer service. But just um obviously different tasks day to day and i don't learn very quickly i'm not a fast learner i Mm -hmm. feel really stupid when i get in a new 
thing because well, I can totally relate to that. Yeah, I just I just yeah. don't pick it up fast. I think once I get the hang of something and it clicks, I become a very efficient worker. Um, I do think through things a lot, but until all the pieces come together and it mm-hmm. all makes sense as a whole, all those individual pieces are overwhelming for me. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I've definitely had the same learning curve a lot whenever I, I learn a new position or learn another skill or another yeah aspect. It always comes out with the first time I hear a piece of information or the first time I hear somebody's walking me through it, it almost always goes over my head. Mm-hmm. And then once I start doing it and start piecing things together, I just sort of, it's like I'm, I'm taking like this entire mass of data and trying to compartmentalize it in my mind. So I don't necessarily pick up how everything fits together the first time, but I'll develop a process over time and f- fine tune it to figure out what the most efficient, you know, way of doing something is or mm-hmm. how it's done and eventually it just sort of starts to click but yeah it does take it does take time for me as well yeah and then so the but learning to be confident in in your learning process i think is really important and mm-hmm. really difficult for me um, especially having a lot of tendencies toward perfectionism since i'm already going into it whatever it is with the expectation on myself that i need to perform really well right off the bat that kind of stunts my growth as well. I think that actually hurts my ability to progress and grow in it because it's unrealistic and I'm I'm not meeting myself where I am and realistically moving forward one step at a time, however large those steps may be, large or small, because I'm looking at the other people, say the people who are training me and how they do it, and thinking, I need to be at least as good as they are. First day doing it. And that just becomes overwhelming. And that's, you feel like that's self-imposed pressure? A lot of it is, yeah, I think so. In my experience, I've, like, all of the people I've worked with for the most part have been great. And that's not a pressure I think generally people want to put on someone. That's not the intention. Mm-hmm. Even if it, is perceived if i am perceiving that kind of thing and feeling like the pressure is on from the people around me that doesn't mean they're actually intending me to feel that way i don't think they generally are i've like as a barista with starbucks i had a number of different supervisors who really wanted to see me get over that fear and get better at the job because i didn't really make drinks for almost the first year i was at starbucks because that's the most high intensity position that's the one that you feel the most pressure doing you've got to get things right and everybody's watching you make their drinks and it was really overwhelming for me Mm. i just didn't feel proficient at it and i would go over there at the urging of my supervisors and my coworkers who were like we want to see joel do well and i wouldn't do well and i'd get overwhelmed and i'd feel bad like i'm letting Mm. the team down and i i I had to stop Mm. And eventually, though, it clicked. I figured out how to work well and pushed myself, too, to get better and also just stopped believing that that was the expectation that was placed on me, that people were expecting me to perform to a certain level all the time. Um, that's always been uh, a unhealthy pattern for me self-sabotage 
assuming that other people are looking at me in the same way that I look at myself, which mm -hmm. is typically not the greatest light. And I, I haven't actually experienced that to be true as I've pushed against it and tested it and tried to figure out actually what is true about the people around me. I've found that it's not what I thought it was. And something I've found that has been an interesting thought experiment or helpful in those situations is asking the people around me their progression, how they got to where they are now. Because usually when you pick somebody's brain about the, even that you're working with or somebody who's teaching you how to do something new like mm -hmm. that, if you're on a job, uh, asking them their process and how they got there, it, I feel like it, it loosens up the environment. Also, you sort of get to see the perception of, you know, in their mind where they also, you know, had a learning curve, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's obvious when you think about it, but even helping yourself and them help you in that sense of actually just sort of, it helps to slow down the process, I guess. And, um, I found that to be helpful for me, you know, I should do that more. Yeah. I should actually ask. <laughs> it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's just communication. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, having that, making that connection, honestly, like at the same time, cause it's like you're learning, but also you're developing a relationship in doing so with the person you're working with. And ultimately that's going to improve your learning experience and it's going to improve your connection to the people you're working with. Um, and so having that kind of honest conversation where you're slowing yourself down and Um, just sort of making connections with people, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I lost a train of thought. Um, it happens all the time. Sure. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. get what you're saying. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it's very helpful. In general, ask for help. <laughs> ask the people around you, ask for help and whatever that looks like. Maybe it's most helpful for you to just know how they did it. Maybe you're somebody who needs a really patient teacher to walk alongside them, like me typically. If I ask how to do something and someone says, there's a manual right there, just read it. These days, I'm just going to say, I'll be honest with you, that won't help me. It's going to overwhelm me. Mm -hmm. What I need is someone who knows what they're doing and can communicate it well to me to walk with me through it. Yeah. And then I can get it. And then I'm going to perform well. Um, I don't, I don't learn well by reading the manual, so to speak. John can attest to that as someone who's helped me with my cars quite a bit. Mm -hmm. It just kind of all these little pieces that I don't know how they work are all in there. And I feel like I need to understand everything about it before I can make progress and do what I'm trying to do. And he's much better at just like taking things apart and working as he goes and this is where i am now okay what's the next thing i guess i need to take that off i get so scared when working on a car when i'm taking things apart i'm like but what if i don't know what's next you know i just yeah. can't take off that part because i don't know how it's going to affect the other things yeah overwhelm is a very uh, familiar emotion to me hmm. you try and get the i'm noticing you're you, you talk kind of pretty softly. So oh, yeah. Get real friendly with them. Like, yeah. Hello. Are there is there a particular emotion that you feel like you have um, had a lot of experience with in life? 
Um, honestly, I don't feel a lot of emotions. Like, I'll feel joy. I'll feel sad, but I've never actually been, like, majorly depressed in any way. And I honestly don't get angry very easily. Even at things that probably should anger me. I tend to be... Oh, what's the word? I have more of an agreeable personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably let more things roll over me than I should. You know, just sort of like working with people and conversations with people. I'll just sort of like, I don't, I don't necessarily care, you know, a lot. I won't be, I'm not offended easily at all. Mm-hmm. And that's part good. of that's perception. I sort of, I like to think that I you know, sort of see people's intentions behind the things they say more than just the face value of what they're saying. But also it's just me. It's just my, the way I, I, I value having a, oh, what you say, just sort of an agreeable relationship with somebody over um, my own personal feelings or my own personal, um, I don't know the exact word, but um, yeah, just a, in general, more agreeable personality how that relates to my emotions is um, I don't know. I, I, I'm generally apathetic about yeah. most things. Very um, even keeled, even keeled to almost an extreme. I don't know. That's it's, fine. Well, that's just, I like, I like the question. I like hearing the answer, especially honestly from people who are, who maybe are more in line with how you are with this. Because it's so foreign to me. I don't know what it's like to not feel lots of things all the time. So let me use an example. Um, at a lot of places that I've worked, I know work keeps coming up. It's not necessarily the most all-encompassing analogy, but um, it's one that's relevant to a lot of our lives because mm-hmm. all of us work, you know, yep. or, you know, have had job experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I Often at work, I'll be the, the subject of... of I'm an easy target for people to like, you know, whether it's disses, burns, or just make jokes in general. I, I lend myself easily to that, you know, kind of conversation. I take a lot of, I t- basically I take a lot more crap than I give, uh-huh. a lot of times, and I'm good about doing that. Like I can stuff rolls off my shoulders really pretty easily. Like mm-hmm. it, it can obviously build up and it make me irritated enough if I if I don't address it. But in general, um. I'm cool with just, you know, people making jokes and whatever and joking around with people and taking disses, taking burns and good naturedly. These aren't like these aren't malicious or anything. It's just Mm -hmm. I enjoy that kind of banter, even though I don't necessarily I feel somewhat uncomfortable, like returning it, you know, returning it. But um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just. I guess what you said about even killed. Yeah. But yeah. It's also good. agreeable, I guess. Maybe if you're like me, you do maybe maybe that's why I'm so easily like maybe that's why I'm so critical of everything all the time. <laughs> Cause I just I'm so prone to think about things a lot and have a lot of feelings associated with them. Uh I think that's fine, but I, I think you need to you need to be able to say, Okay, and shrug. And just let it go, no matter what it is, I think, mm. um, at a certain point. Because um, I, I, it, having a peaceful life with other people, to me, is a priority. 
And I've noticed that when you are hyper-aware and hyper-critical of everything all the time, that can be difficult to do because you dissect and analyze everything that other people are doing just like you do the things that you are doing. Um, and it can be tiring and straining. And I, at times, wish that it was easier for me to set those aside and to just chill out. Mm. Not that I'm not chill, but I notice myself being very critical of things a lot of the time. Now, do you find yourself sort of stuck in that whenever you're around people? Like, do you find it to the point where you limit the amount of social contact you have with other people because you can only handle so much in one day kind of? No. no, no, okay. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I guess more speci- speaking to specific situations, uh, specific things that probably bother me that I still let bother me often driving is that, um, people on the roads, interesting, the way that people drive bothers me not extremely it's just like slightly annoying interesting but i don't want there to be things in my life that are just annoying indefinitely that i can't do anything about i would rather it be annoying and me think about why it is and then adjust my perspective so that now that thing doesn't annoy me anymore because i can't control it i'm never going to live in a world that doesn't have traffic of people who aren't good at driving Mm-hmm. So I should change how I um, perceive that and how I respond to that. Right. Um, but generally, as far as people go, when I'm actually interacting with people and I'm actually talking and in conversation with people or just in a social environment, I don't get easily bothered. And in part because I just love being there. I love having honest kind interactions with people i'm around mostly a lot of people who are very honest and kind and that makes me feel very accepted and free which in turn makes me more accepting and willing to offer freedom to other people i think that's something recently i've been honestly experiencing quite a lot with uh, a lot of people I've been around recently, some people you know, mm-hmm. and that's been challenging for me because it makes me want to be that way all the time. It makes me think when I'm with these people, I feel more free and more myself and more true. I want that to be me all the time. Sure. I don't want that to just be a version of me that I find when I'm around certain people. Right. I can relate to that. Um, Just the aspect of different projections of yourself when you're around different crowds or different groups of people. Mm -hmm. For sure. Has there been a specific David that kind of comes out around crowds in your life? I don't know. I feel like I alternate between two extremes. Either I'm the person in the corner that's not talking to anybody or I'm the life of the party, which doesn't usually happen that I'm really the life of the party. I tend to prefer meeting with 
two or three or four or five people at a time. Mm -hmm. I feel like I can have a better social experience and actually engage in, you know, more interesting conversations with crowds that are smaller in that capacity. Um, partly due to the fact that, um, I'm bad at small talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just don't like it. I don't feel comfortable talking about things that don't mean anything. And I don't have any interests like that for one thing. Like at this point I'm off all social media. Um, so whatever new thing is going on, I probably don't know about it or I'm not really that interested in it. Um, and I, I've always had a trouble understanding what it is that other people are actually like into, you know, and trying to create a conversation around something that, you know, something What's the unimportant, you know, social topic of today. You mean like politics or yeah, just whatever it is like knowing that some people know that all the time. They know well, some of those the, things are more in tune with than others. It's not that I'm completely, uh, you know, oblivious. Um, but just engaging on a conversation with somebody on a, on a very like superficial scale is something that I just don't enjoy because I don't feel like I actually got to know the person any better. I don't feel like I actually spent any meaningful time or got anything meaningful out of the time that I spent. Um, especially if I'm like at a, a group or something or at a event or a party or something like that. Um, I, I want my time there to be meaningful and I want to feel good after you know, when I leave, I feel, I want to feel like I accomplished something, you know, like I met somebody new or had something meaningful conversation or developed a relationship more mm. and with just superficial small talk. I just don't get that, you know? And so whatever it was, we're, we're just talking about earlier when we got into that. Um, where was that? Where'd we go off this? The life of the party. Talk? Life of the or party. The guy in the corner. Guy in the corner. Okay. Yeah. That's basically how that turns out. And usually when I'm in life of the party, it's usually there was alcohol involved and um, I just loosen up as a social lubricant. Isn't it, it great? It just works. It does. It, it works for that extent. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. For yeah. me, I usually just get happier. That's usually what happens. Probably because so. you're just generally even-keeled, reasonably I mean, happy person. Right. Yeah, you just become more of that. I was thinking, I was taking a shower last night. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I seem to be at my peak. The peak Joel is the Joel who's around people who are safe for him. And he's had like one glass of whiskey. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel I'm talkative, which is how I am. But I lose all these boundaries of I'm afraid to say this because I'm self-conscious. And right. I'm worried that they might perceive me wrong if I say this. Those go away. And I just talk and ask questions like i would if i wasn't afraid right and i i feel because when i'm around those safe people i feel safe to be as me as i can be sure and that alcohol kind of like a little bit of it mm -hmm. responsibly my friends a little bit of it helps to like pull down those unhealthy boundaries that i've built right um that's i mean that was the other night when we had that bonfire that's that's how i felt Mm -hmm. which I didn't have any alcohol until that glass of whiskey, um, but was immediately then engaging more in conversation with right. people and talking to people about uh, Hebrew and like different stuff that just was very easy for me to back up and just start talking to the person and disengage from the group and now specifically address one person. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that alcohol to me is a really interesting substance 
because it is it's morally neutral. It's just a liquid. Um, whiskey's a liquid, beer, wine, whatever you drink. It has um, effects. It has, obviously, it does things chemically to us, but that's going to change based on how much of it you have. So if I'm blackout drunk, I'm going to look at that and say, this is a negative. This mm-hmm. isn't a positive thing. That doesn't mean that any alcohol is a negative. Mm-hmm. That means I had too much. Right. Enough of it loosens me up and helps in a lot of ways. Um, especially, again, in a safe space, in an environment where it's safe to be me and, and I know I'm okay, I'm not going to be taken advantage of. Sure. I trust the people around me. That's a space that that's it's good to do that kind of thing. Yeah, because it, it, by nature, it just removes inhibitions. Mm-hmm. So for me and probably you, it's like I always have this inner dialogue going on in my head. It's like all the things I'm thinking, it's nonstop. It's just me talking to myself. Mm-hmm. Part of what it you know makes me very comfortable being by myself because I'm, I keep myself entertained. Um, so I'm, I feel comfortable in my own skin. But at the same time, I'm always sort of self-conscious about you know what other people think when I say things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even bad things. It's just like, again, coming back to the small talk, it's just, I don't really feel like I have anything interesting to say, you know. But when you have, you know, a little bit of alcohol, one, maybe two drinks, and um, it, it just removes that barrier of self-consciousness. Mm-hmm. So where you're more willing to say what you're actually thinking. And in situations for me where I tend to be very withdrawn, it actually puts me on a level where I'm actually now, for lack of a better term, a functioning member of the party or mm-hmm. society or whatever, <laughs> basically willing to contribute my thoughts yeah. you know, yeah. to other people and mm-hmm. not just hide in the corner and sulk or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of an extreme. It, it, it's effective for just making you more comfortable in your own skin, comfortable around other people. Yeah. Just because it removes that self-conscious aspect. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you find that, have you always been a rather self-conscious person? By nature, I would say, well, self-conscious. I don't, I don't think, I've always been withdrawn. I wouldn't say self-conscious. Well, it is, I am self-conscious, but not necessarily in a, self like a negative like self-abasing self-abasing kind of way not that yeah but i've always been hyper aware of the you know what i'm saying or what the impressions i feel like i'm having on people Mm -hmm. um and i've always been like i said withdrawn just because i grew up very isolated and i was homeschooled and didn't really have a lot of company except my brothers Mm -hmm. to hang out with for much of my childhood so I didn't really develop social skills until later in life. So I've always been forced to, you know, be comfortable in my own skin and, and enjoy myself, you know, just being by myself most of the time. Though I'm also extroverted, I also have the capacity to be introverted. You know, if I, if I took a test one time and I was like 55% extroverted and 45% introverted. Mm-hmm. So I'm like right in the middle there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've always been sort of, have had the capacity to be withdrawn and I feel like I'm more of a withdrawn individual, but not, um, I don't know. Yeah. I wonder it's kind of if balanced. it's, um, 
you and I have kind of come from backgrounds of being more isolated and not being able to learn these social skills early on, but learning different skills, which is how to be by yourself and how to Mm -hmm. think critically about a lot of things and, and how to internalize things. And then later coming into a different environment and learning the social skills, letting those develop. For me, that's been the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, it feeling just completely new to be interacting socially the way that I do now. Do you, I, I wonder if one way or the other is harder because I've met plenty of people, you probably have too, who seem like all they learned was the social interaction because that's what they grew up with. They were always around people. They went to public school. They had lots of friends. They were always doing things. They were always socially active. And now they don't know how to be alone. They don't know how to internalize things and Mm -hmm. sit in silence and ask questions. Um, And sitting in silence scares a lot of people. I'm very comfortable doing that. I can literally do that for an hour without any issues whatsoever. Yeah, I, that that seems like it's not the most common thing to me. Uh-huh. I feel like that that worries people. It's it's very difficult, um, and so I wonder if it's easier to do it the way we did it, because now I'm I'm in the world where social interaction is almost pushed on you. You you need to interact and be part of the culture that sure. you live in to some extent. Versus being a child, you can kind of go off into your own world and it's fine. Yeah. It's before you are now expected to be a functioning part of society. Mm-hmm. You are free to just be you and be with yourself. So you have that opportunity to learn how to do that in a healthy way. Then you get older and you have to be part of society. And now you can learn social skills. You can learn how to be around people you don't know, how to make new friends, how to talk to people you don't know. That's stuff I've been learning as of late. But I haven't really thought before about what it's like for the on the other side, yeah. the reverse of that. I honestly think it would probably be easier for somebody who grew up more social to become more familiar with themselves and comfortable with themselves. Um, I know it's a very common trope almost for people who have always been more reclusive or intro- introverted. Whenever they're around in a system that's very busy and there's a lot of people, all their friends are social and they're not to develop depressive um uh, you know like emotions or being become depressed or whatever Mm -hmm. if they're not actually trying to improve themselves in a healthy manner if you're not actively trying to adjust yourself to be comfortable in a social atmosphere it's really easy to kind of spiral down into this you know nobody likes me nobody's my friend because i'm not actually putting myself out there Mm -hmm. um versus say you grew up, you're very popular, you have a lot of friends, people you're close with, connections, you know, you socialize a lot. I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of stories of also of people like just going out in the woods, going camping trip where they don't have a cell phone with them or whatever. And sure, it's hard for the first few days, but if you're actually intentional about it, it's easy to get become very comfortable and familiar with just the simplicity, you know, and it's just shipping away. And it sure, it takes some adjustment, but... I don't think it's as potentially stressful and, you know, damaging as trying to pull somebody out of being a recluse and introversion and thrust them into a social society and see whether they 
swim or drown. Hmm. You know, it's kind of a toss up. Yeah. So I've seen both. Yeah. Maybe right. Maybe I took the hard road. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think in some ways we definitely took the hard road. I'm not saying that's not without benefits. I definitely yeah. appreciate my, the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I turned out okay and I'm on the right path to developing healthy life habits. Mm-hmm. And so I, I enjoy that. I'm enjoying the process for sure. Okay. So we'll, we'll back up. Do you, do you think, was that, um, did you have that kind of a perspective as a young person, as a kid? Did you feel isolated or like you weren't part of the social sphere as a homeschool kid? Yes. Yeah. Um, and you, had, you have two brothers. Is that right? It's just you and. Oh, actually and, I'm one of seven. One of seven. I had I two older sisters this. and then there's five, five boys. Okay. Now we were very well spaced apart. So my two older sisters were in college as far back as I can remember. Okay. I mainly grew up with two older brothers and one younger brother, um, was who I spent the majority of my childhood with. And then that older brother, the one that was older that I grew up with, went to college when I was about, I want to say 10 or 11. Um, cause he went to college when he was 16 and we were, he was six years older than me. I'm not sure if that calculates exactly right. If anybody's actually trying to do the math on that, but it felt <laughs> like it was roughly that time period. It's people taking notes <laughs> on their own while they listen. Yeah, my, my math is probably wrong. <laughs> um, so then at that point it was just one older brother and one younger brother. So I guess the people that I actually spent the most time with was fairly limited number of people. Um, and honestly, me and my older brother fought a lot growing up. You know, we're like best friends now, but childhood was was very strenuous on us because we had very different personalities and they clashed a lot. Mm. Um, and then add to that, like the major uh, majority of my social interaction outside of home was going to church. And first church we went to for a while was an assemblies of God. And a lot of the kids there, the youth group were all public schooled. And so it was difficult for us to make connections there because we didn't live in the same life or go to the same school they did. You know, mm-hmm. we were homeschooled. Yeah. Um, so it was, I don't think I actually had any real friendships out of that group. Um, the next church we went to for an extended period of time was with actually it was like a non-denominational church out in the boonies where a bunch of other homeschool families all went to. Um, <laughs> And I developed some some friendships out there, but honestly, it's in, in the same respect that a lot of people say that they don't really carry a lot of high school friends into adult life. The same is true in that that sphere, because honestly, like I'm not really friends with any of those people except for the people that I've been around since, you know, as an adult. Are you speaking of the church sphere? Or yeah, the the, the, the people who are my age in that at that church. Okay. Um, Hmm. so how I, I always had a hard time socially interacting with them as well, for whatever reason, not entirely certain why, but they seem to have their own kind of cliques in a way. It was a number of families. So it was a decent, you know, maybe 20 to 30 kids, you know, it wasn't like a, I mean, everybody knew each other for sure, but there was like the older, the older clique. There were, you had the the more athletic types and the more nerdy types. There was Mm -hmm. like all the same kind of demographics you might expect to find at like a a public school. Only these were all homeschooled families. Um, (laughs) But uh, at the same time, it's like all of them have the same, you know, limited social skills that we did. So it's, and almost it was, you know, it's kind of worse (laughs) in a way. (laughs) Um, Everybody's. Lord of the flies, all these kids learning like 
amongst their peers how to rule. Yeah. Um, That's funny. Because I don't, I mean, I could say the same for me. I had a lot of friends, I think, and like I interacted with a lot of different people in youth group as a kid in the church. But I could only name, I'm thinking of two people. I still talk to you. One of them is is Joey, who we, we've right. been close for a long time, and now he's here, obviously. And then uh, my friend Brandon, who I've known since like kindergarten class. Other than that, I I can't think of anybody who I still have a working functional relationship with mm-hmm. from growing up in the church, which seems backwards of what it should be maybe but honestly that's that's not uncommon at all like i mentioned before with people talk about high school it's like once you grow up and you sort of establish yourself and you go in a different direction than everybody else is going trying to maintain those relationships obviously becomes more difficult and so it's only the ones that you're actually intentional about that actually click yeah you can't really have a casual relationship with somebody that you're not around. You know, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, that that probably had quite a bit to do with it too, for me. Moving away, mm-hmm. like I I left the state. You know, so there were a couple of people who I was close enough to that I still talked with, but that wasn't the norm. It's just it requires a lot more work to maintain relationships when you. When there's a great deal of physical distance between you and oh, other for people. Sure. So you, would you say you were emotionally close with any of your siblings? Or what, did it feel kind of separate for everybody given how, how far apart you all were? Not, definitely not with all my siblings. I'm closer to the, the ones who are closer to me in age for sure. The ones I've spent more time with. Mm-hmm. Um. Like I said, my two older sisters, I didn't really have any childhood experiences with except for like at Thanksgiving when they'd come home or whenever. Um, now, one of those sisters moved back into my parents for a period of time and still lives in the same town with them. So I've actually, in my teen years, I actually spent a lot more time with her. Um, so I got to know her a lot better. But my other sister and one of my brothers, who's now in Texas, who went off to college when I was five years old, there was a, I believe a six or seven year gap between him and the one who went to college when I was like 11. Um, I never really had like any consistent childhood time. Well, I shouldn't say that because I did. There was also a period of time where he came back from college for like a year and stayed at the house. So for about a year, I remember having him around and talking to him and interacting with him. Um, but yeah, it was pretty pretty loose pretty spread out um it felt like i don't know because like i i I never grew up in a family where where everybody was close in age Mm -hmm. like a lot of people that i know um so the relationship dynamics are different just based on how spread apart we are in age it feels like there's two different generations you know of the same siblings you know Uh you know where some of them are now in their late 30s and I'm in my early twenties. It, I don't know. Yeah. 
that makes a difference. I mean, that's been as much as we can try to make use of it. it there are benefits to it, of course, to having people um, in a different stage of life than you. But as far as building community and friendships, it is just practically more difficult mm-hmm. um, with people who are just at different stages of life than you. That's been my experience since moving here. I've essentially all of my community I've had in the three years, three plus years that I've been here has been a stage above me, all married, almost no single friends, um, plenty of them with children. Um, and they've been great, but it's always felt, and the more time has gone on, the more it's felt like I am, um, like I've been very accepted, but not a part in the same way because I'm just not in that place. I'm a different, um, I'm in a very different stage. And I've been craving that really, which is why like all these people I've been meeting recently have been so refreshing to me because I'm around people now who are in my stage of life. Mm-hmm. It just feels different. It's hard for me to even articulate what is it specifically though about these people that's different about the people who are 30 and married and mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. Maybe we just are less tied to things so we're more willing to like get together for bonfires and all hang out in this kind of communal way where it's not just the couples, you know? Sure. So maybe that's a large part of it. Um, and maybe that will change drastically as the people I'm around begin getting married too. And that's yeah. a bunch I mean, of married when you're When you're single and you're in your, I guess, early 20s, you're in a stage where you're seeking to develop relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily even romantic relationships, but you're just interested in networking and building yeah. friendships. And once you settle down, you get married, you find somebody that you're you know you're interested in, you get married, you presumably have an apartment or get a house or start working on sort of a more stable life situation. You sort of break away from a lot of that. You're at least not as curious about developing relationships with people. And so that probably limits your willingness to just hang out and have a social as much of a social life you know yeah and i've definitely noticed that with like even groups like we're part of where it's a bunch of single people all hanging out and they hang out pretty often maybe every week or every other week or maybe a couple times a week and then when you notice people start to pair up you know they actually you know start dating another person in that group they always become isolated now like they're over they're over here now like <laughs> oh where, where did where did those people go i haven't seen him lately oh yeah they, they started dating oh i right. hardly ever see them anymore right and then maybe you get invited to be at their wedding party or something, and then they're off. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of the way it... Living life. I've seen it happen a number of times. I've uh, seen it happen. It happened to it's him, just never to me, one guy. you know? It's like... Yeah. Man, I've heard about that. And they call it marriage. It's weird. Well, what, what's the uh, the Bambi movie? They hold it being Twitter-pated. Yeah, yeah. Twitter-pated. Twitter-pated. Who said that? Like the... Was what's it the, the rabbit was the, that said that? Yeah, I think it was Thumper, right? Thumper? <laughs> who is twitter painted though bambi they all they did at some point like there's a scene in the movie where it's like the next spring and they're all grown up and then they happenstancely run into just the female counterpart so the rabbit finds a female rabbit and the skunk finds a, yeah. a girl skunk and 
So Bambi's maybe the it's one, one of the other animals, like the older wise one looking at all the young animals. I haven't seen that movie in so long. Same, but it kind of sticks with you. Yeah, Twitter page. I think my mom would use that word on occasion as well. So, I, so ha- as kind of mine, stuck. yeah. Hi, mom. My mom actually listens. She texted me the other day and said she listens to this like before going to bed. I don't know if she listens to a whole episode before going to bed, but I like that. That's fun. My mom hears me swear now. <laughs> Sometimes. There's only been one explicit episode so far. Explicit? like Meaning like F-words. There was an F-word in that episode. Yeah, there were a number of them, yeah. Mm. Two, episode two. Do you have to like mark that now as like the ill E right next yes. to the podcast? Yeah. So I mark it. I do mark it uh, manually on my website when I do that because I know that's it's going to receive that rating. I don't know how it works if you don't but it is considered explicit content. Um, If they just change it in iTunes or Spotify or whatever, or um, if you get some sort of notice, (laughs) but I I just... Somebody would have to actually listen to it and review it and mark it and report it or whatever. I don't think so. I think the robots are smart enough to understand to pick up those words. Probably make up like a good percentage of your your viewership at this point. Yeah, probably. <laughs> It'd be funny, like you they maybe like have them have to register as a viewer. You know, it's like so the more robots listen to your podcast, the more you know. Yeah. The views it pops up. I don't know. That'd be that'd be interesting. Probably People's phones start suggesting it to them because yeah. the phones have been listening. Mm. It's like, master, have you heard of this podcast? It has so many words that you probably like because of all the other things you listen to. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Do you experience, uh, I guess you're not really on social media. Is that a more recent development? Have you um, made the decision to abstain from social social media? Yes. Um, it, I was isolated as a child and more ways than one because we actually lived out in the country. Okay. Um, with no Wi-Fi and no TV. Two miles of dirt road. Like the neighbors, I think, had a connection for Wi-Fi and then we didn't. We're like the property next door. Yeah. I don't remember, honestly, Wi-Fi being a thing when I was growing up. And you grew up in the city, right? No, we were, we were out in the country, too. Okay. Yeah. Um, we had dial-up at some point. We also had dial-up. Yeah. It took, like, 30 minutes to download a picture. Yep. So you, you really can't browse the internet or really do anything yeah. like... No, you, you, don't, you don't really use the internet when Wikipedia it's is, difficult. like, the extent of your computing capacity on yeah. that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were, we were isolated in that respect, so... We didn't, well, with that also, we didn't have cable TV, mm-hmm. so commercials or streaming movies. Like, we, we would have to go to uh, Blockbuster and rent a VHS Rip. for a Friday night, movie night. You know, that was that was the extent of it, pretty yeah. much. And then DVDs became a thing. We had, we, we probably still have, but we had the uh, extended edition Lord of the Rings on VHSs. On VHS? On VHSs. Wow. And we plugged them into our TV. We had a box dome screen tv uh-huh. like a wood tv yeah and we had a, a external dvd player and vhs player that we hooked up to the back of it uh-huh and that was the tv that we had growing up uh, man i didn't i don't know how much you can fit on a vhs i guess you gotta be there were they a were couple long, hours there were long movies like yeah. that b- about two before hours. lord of the rings you know i just watched gone with the wind recently that's close to four hours long so there were long movies being put on on tape mm-hmm. before i just didn't have by the time the lord of the rings movies were coming out i think dvds were at least around 
there were ads on the Lord of the Rings movies on VHS for DVDs. It was this newfangled technology where you could rewind. And, right. Or you just you can just skip, skip. Yeah. yeah, skip. That's amazing. Watch I remember it. when it we got our first DVD player. Yeah, it was it was yeah it was a newfangled thing. So, where I was going with that, um, you you asked about my social media usage. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I didn't get a Facebook page until I bought my laptop when I started working. I bought a laptop off somebody. Okay, they, and um, so I started a, a, a Facebook page and tried to socialize with all my, my church friends on Facebook and be friends with everybody. And I had like maybe 200 friends. I think it was like a hundred and then 150 and then maybe it crept up to 200. Once I started becoming less selective with, you know, who I was friends with. Yeah, because, it's like, I've, I've seen them before. Sure. Yeah. yeah, sure. And also there was, there was a certain paranoid aspect of social media. Cause obviously I grew up in a, a slightly more paranoid community um, with just, you know, not really trusting corporations or Zuckerberg or whatever. Yeah. So I, I felt like I needed to be not friends with just everybody and let anybody see whatever I was posting. Not that anything I was posting was at all, you know, private really. Mm-hmm. Um, I hardly ever posted it at all. But anyway, so I had Facebook for a while. Um, I think I got an Instagram once probably just to look at one person's account. I never really posted anything. And then I'd hardly ever used it. Um, and I wasn't posting anything on Facebook. And I found that whenever I was on Facebook, I was just scrolling through newsfeed, watching things that I didn't care about, people's posts that I didn't wasn't even really interested in their lives. There's maybe two or three people that I actually was interested in anything they might post. Um, and so I decided, like, you know, I'm, whatever time I'm spending on this, I consider it to be pretty much a waste of time. I'm not benefiting at all from this. Honestly, like, if I wanted to have a... I, at that point, I started to develop more of a social life in recent months um, or before I d- deleted my Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, the more meaningful connections I was having was more valuable to me than virtual ones or even expanding virtual ones. Um, and so I just like, you know, I'll just delete it. So I think I shut off my Facebook probably over a year ago. And, but I still had Messenger, so it wasn't like permanently actually like deleted, deleted. Mm-hmm. Um, because there were some contacts that I had on Messenger that I didn't necessarily have their phone numbers for that I still wanted to stay in touch with. Um, since I've deleted all of it, because I was like, yeah, but I haven't really talked to them in a long time. And I'm sure that I could get their phone number if I wanted to. So I've just sort of phased everything out. And I'm still in the process of doing that completely. Like I think I still have an Instagram that I haven't checked in months. Uh, I went through TikTok for a little bit. I got on TikTok Pagwagon for several months and I really enjoyed that. It was fun, but ultimately I think I decided it probably wasn't very productive use of time, so I deleted that. Mm. So my entire social media usage period has probably been about two and a half, three years max. Man, I feel kind of envious of anybody who doesn't, um, isn't pulled as much toward those things um, or doesn't even have reasons that they can use to convince themselves that they should be using it. Mm-hmm. Like for me as a photographer and as now like a person who's doing this podcast, I'm at at the very least on a practical level, social media is a distribution tool. Right. It's how a lot of people that I don't see in person all the time 
get to hear about what I'm doing. And I want, especially for this, I want people to know about it. I want it to go out there. No, I get that. I was going to say, yeah. like, you have a you have a pretty fleshed out Instagram page. I've actually seen your photos. Oh. Some great photos on there. Oh, thank you. Um, but, yeah, it's a fantastic creative avenue. Mm-hmm. But for me, certainly, I'm not a photographer. I probably had five photos that were, like, selfies that I took just to have something on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I had a stories or anything. Yeah. So it was just like, I'm a consumer. I'm not a contributor. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find a lot of value in it. But for sure, like, as a, if, if I was, say, an artist or something, absolutely. I'd want to have a, a venue for putting myself out there and, you know, sort of creating a, a place to post all my art or my creativity or anything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's, it's helpful. It's a helpful tool, but it very quickly, for me, becomes... Uh, unhealthy and uh, consumes too much time I haven't found the proper balance between using it to distribute things but not caring after I do that sure because it should be here it is I posted it people can see people can find out about it now and now I don't think about it again until I have something else to put on there Um, it's not that Mm -hmm. it's much more consuming of my thoughts and I wish it was different, and I want it to be different. There have been times when I've made a real effort to make that different and to not care as much about it. And recently I've felt like I need to be getting back to that because I do enjoy sharing things. Like, again, as a photographer, part of the fun of making photos is sharing them with other people. Yeah. Now, the reality is that probably most of the people who scroll past the images I post don't care that much. What's really fun is interacting with people who care enough to talk to you about the thing that you posted. Um, Other photographers um, who are also doing that, who want to share because they're like, I made this image and I'm just, I'm happy about this thing. It's Mm -hmm. cool. I hope you enjoy it too. Right. That to me is really fun. And I don't get a lot of that. I don't have... A community of photographers around me here really I, I really want to build that more mm-hmm. uh, John and I haven't like we've shot together we've like walked around Fayetteville and right. taken photos and stuff and haven't done that in a while I think probably at all this year um, and I'm, I do miss that I find that social media is good for continuing um, relationships, I guess, having a way to reach out to people. Sure. And initiating things. But for that in-between of, like, your normal everyday life and you socializing with people, that doesn't happen on social Mm -hmm. media, in in my experience. Um, Real friendships are made in person, and you can then use social media to supplement that because maybe I meet you at a at a like someone's house at a bonfire and I didn't get your number, but I know your name, so I add you on social media and sure. I reach out. That's great. Like John and I met on on Instagram and mm-hmm. then we went and we like went to Hammond Trees and got food and took photos. 
So it's great for that. I appreciate um, the tool that it is and the things that you can do with it that are actually useful and productive and build people up. But I don't think that's the majority of it. I think the majority probably by a long shot of social media and usage of it is unhealthy and built on comparison and manipulation and a lot of people knowing psychology really well and knowing Mm. how to get you to open the app because if you open that app more they make more money right and that's kind of the real point of it even if at some point it was started because a couple of guys were like we want a way to share images with our friends so we can all chat even like we can do that well in an age where smartphones or in an age where social media was still small i guess it's not that anymore you know <laughs> like one in five images i see on instagram is an ad not just an ad of here's a person posting something that they're really into and naming it because they like it but this is actually a sponsored post that a business paid to right. have here and that my phone also put here because it's listening to all the right. things i say throughout my day like that's now what social media is yeah and it's so manipulative and sad and it makes me so happy when i can step away from it mm-hmm. and that i can realize it and that i can have this conversation with somebody um and, and see it as this silly thing on this like little computer that we keep with, with us all the time yeah I need to be better at it. <laughs> oh, also, um, for me, for the longest time, when I first got a phone, it was like a little track phone, like mm-hmm. a little brick track phone. Yeah. I literally bought minutes on, you know? Yeah. And so I could just call and text on it. Obviously, I didn't have access to... If I, if I wanted to access social media, I'd have to do it on my laptop. So I'd probably have to go to go home to check into Facebook or anything. Um, I didn't have the quick access. Mm-hmm. I got rid of it ultimately just because texting was really, really hard on those yeah, it's very three difficult. letter per button keys, you know? Yes. And so I wound up getting an iPhone. But if if I was able to do text and voice well on a simple device like that, I think I would I could very easily make the switch back to a more simple machine like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing for me, honestly, because... Um, something I've been thinking about recently is what if I get another, you know, a flip phone or something like that? Mm-hmm. It's just so peaceful just thinking about it, honestly. <laughs> what if I get that and also have like an iPod touch or something so I can, I can still post to Instagram. I can communicate with people through GroupMe mm-hmm. and get in touch with people when I need to. But it's not this thing that I have in my back pocket all the time that's just tempting me constantly to scroll. Mm-hmm. Um, what if I did that? Um, I probably should. I was trying to get at something when I started what I just said. Yeah. And I lost it along the way. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well.
Well, even the setup that I did for a while, you know, having a computer that you can check on, Mm -hmm. you know, after you get home from work or whenever, um, I feel like that was effective, or at least for my limited um, internet social usage. For you, it might be a little bit more challenging um, because you're actually sort of more active on those platforms. Uh, I don't think I I need to be, though. You don't need. You don't, okay. no, I don't think I need to be. Like I said, I for, for the podcast, I literally post once a week when the episode comes out. Sure. So the episode releases every Friday morning, and Friday morning I post about it. And then photos, you're not like automatically posting those. You're editing them, right? Before. Yeah. 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 The actual process of posting an image only takes a minute. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, my usage is just scrolling. Um, some slight interaction with people. Um, I don't, like, my usage of certain things has gone down. Like, I don't watch as many people's stories on Instagram. I'm rarely on YouTube anymore. I just, I don't have time for watching that. Um, So, okay, that's interesting. mm -hmm. When you say you don't have time, what do you mean? Do you mean you, like, literally are busy doing other things or you just don't have the mental, like, allocation of time that I would like to go watch YouTube videos? I guess both. It's become just less and less of a priority. Right. So the time that I do have to spend on things, I have other things that I need to be doing and that I want to be doing. There are videos on YouTube. There are creators who I really enjoy seeing content from, but not as much as I enjoy doing these other things. Sure. Even though I enjoy these people, I'm still, all I'm doing is interacting with I'm just watching this video on a little screen. It'd be different if I was communicating with them and participating in something. Mm-hmm. But I'm just consuming. Like you said, you were a consumer. YouTube for me is purely consumption. And so it doesn't really hold my attention. It's, sure. it's very difficult for me to justify spending much time on it when all I'm doing is consuming. I'm not sharing. I'm not, I'm not participating in mm-hmm. things. So... Instagram at least still has that for me that it's actually something I share too, but it is very rare. I mean, I share every Friday, like I said, for the podcast, but my personal Instagram, I don't think I've posted a photo on it in over a week yet. I would be knowing that be kind of uh, embarrassing to see how much time I've spent on it. Do you get those alerts on your phone from like screen, screen time? No. Okay. I don't because my app doesn't work anymore. Okay. I have an Android. I don't have an iPhone. Uh-huh. And so Google has the digital well-being, which has all that. It was actually a super helpful tool. Um, you can set time limits for all your individual apps and say, at this time, shut it off and lock that app for the rest of the day. Um, and it'll track your usage of all your apps and your general screen time and all that and give you a summary on, I think, a weekly basis. But mine hasn't been working for months now, so I don't I don't see that. It's strange. Yeah, it's I think it's a Samsung thing. I used to have a Google phone, but this is now it's a Samsung phone. But anyway, can we go ahead and, and pour some of that? Yeah, you know, scotch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I've never tried that one. Okay. I think it's pretty good. A lot of my life decisions are made on an aesthetic basis. That has a very different aesthetic, for sure. So I don't know enough about liquor 
to go to the liquor store and look at all the different options and say, this is a good one. I know what this tastes like. I don't know what any of it tastes like for the most part, except the ones I've actually tried. I think the only way to actually get there is experiential. Yeah. Typically it is for me too. I'm getting, I'm like, oh, I know I want to try more scotch. Um, So I know I also don't want to spend $100 on a bottle. Mm -hmm. That limits my options. How's that? That's heavy, but I'll take it. Okay. (laughs) This isn't a drinking show, guys. I just happen to like providing people with something to sip on. It's all good. What is the name of that? How would you say that? Oh. The Glenroths? Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, there's only so many ways. Spelled with an R-O-T-H-E-S. G-L-E-N-R-O-T-H-E-S. It is a seaside single malt. Speyside. Speyside single malt scotch whiskey. Ten years. Yeah. Um, But I'll I'll go in there and there's a few things I'll use to make the decision of what I'm going to buy. One is the first thing is just the price. I, I don't like to buy a bottle that's like... Certainly less than $30. I, I'm not going to really trust it to be worth buying. Sure. And over 50 is pushing it. So I'm usually in the like 35 to $45 range. So this was like a $50 bottle. And I like the look of the bottle. <laughs> so that's why I chose it. Because it, it fit my price range and it looked good. So It's interesting that that aesthetic appeals to you. It's different. I've never seen a whiskey bottle shaped like that. No, oh, for sure. It's like maybe I could see something like that on a bourbon bottle because it's got it's got the glass. It's kind of a rounded bottle and it's got embossed lettering on the bottle. Mm-hmm. And then it's got this black and yellow li- like square label on it. Um, so most scotch bottles that I've seen have a very aesthetic, um, almost like you might think of like it. 1800s style script it's usually in cursive and uh-huh. it's got like the little flare on it yep it looks very old-fashioned design like you think of like a pirate ship or a and usually more tall and thin right tall and thin yeah for sure um so i don't know that's just it's just different yeah it's different marketing yeah how do you like it um it tastes like scotch I don't think it really has a lot of character per se. It's kind of single note. Okay. I enjoy it. Yeah. It's pretty good. I enjoy it. It's not something I partake in very often. Um, it's here. I, I bought the bottle for the podcast. Okay. Because as we were discussing, alcohol can be really nice for taking walls down and helping people be more comfortable in their skin. So I, I find it nice for that. There's only been, I think, one other person on the show who actually drank it with me. Interesting. Um, so you will be episode six. Yeah, this, is that right? It's amazing that I, like, this early on, I can't even keep track of what episode I'm on. But I think you'll be episode six. Oh, it's, it's getting to that point where you've made a few of them. Yeah. So what does that come out to? Next Friday or the Friday after? Um, the Friday after. Okay. 
Ashley, my friend Ashley Moser, was on last Sunday, a week from today, a week back from today. Uh, so her episode will come out this coming Friday, and then yours will be the one after that. Um, but just incidentally, no one else has had it with me other than Colby, who was the first person I had on. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't drink liquor often anymore. Mm-hmm. We usually have beer here. There's usually beer in the fridge. So I probably partake in that much more often. It's easier. Sure. It's easier to drink a beer than a glass of scotch for me. I think I typically lean away from beer. Yeah. I like like interesting beers and I like quality beers. I generally like darker beers. But as a whole, I prefer harder liquors. Just for even for like just casual consumption, really, I'd rather have a a glass of bourbon or scotch rather than than a beer. I'm not sure, really sure why that is. I don't know. Like I'm not turned off by the the harshness or anything like that. Uh-huh. Like some people like they find, like they only drink beer because they don't like hard liquor because it tastes more like alcohol and it's mm-hmm. harsher and more abrasive. Whatever. Yep. I don't know. I like the aesthetic. I like um, the nuance that I get out of it. I yeah. I mean, it is more distinctly something mm-hmm. um it's kind of like i would talk to people before i got into tea which i'm still not very into tea but i would drink like the tea you buy in the aisle at walmart and i think well this I, i'm not that into this because it just tastes like water that's kind of flavored versus coffee which you drink and it's very distinctly coffee it doesn't taste like water Mm. um beer for a long time was like that where beer just tasted like kind of water that had something else in it and then you drink something like a bourbon and it's very distinctly not water right um it's very it's very distinctly what it is (laughs) And I like things that are that way. I like things that are unabashedly themselves. Right. And and <laughs> like the iPhone C, you know, iPhone unapologetically C. plastic. It was just great. I don't even know what that is. What is an iPhone C? It was. Uh, I guess it would have been maybe when the iPhone five came out. I think a while back, yeah. It was that same size. And it was plastic. It was like the cheaper version. And it was plastic and it came in a bunch of different colors. It was just the plastic phone. Yeah. That nobody really wanted. It was probably a meme. Some people had it, but there was just so many jokes about it. And yeah, the guy who, I don't even think he works for Apple anymore. He was one of the big design or engineering guys though. And on the Apple reveal video thing, he's like, the iPhone C is unapologetically plastic. (laughs) <laughs> everybody made fun of that because what do you mean it's unapologetically plastic like your phone is going to say sorry to you because of what it's made of i just thought it was funny so i i use that that phrase sometimes that's funny so you well, i want to back up and okay. talk more about like growing up Did, was there like i know for me there there has been a really big shift that happened from leaving home, leaving, living with my parents to being on my own and building my own home and life 
a lot of things shifted in the way that I lived life and um, the way that I was really, I really started to come into myself, I think, moving, moving away. Um, And maybe that was in part due to being homeschooled and not having a lot of um, social freedom. So that now as an adult, when I move out on my own and I first get those things, um, it, it caused a lot of change. Do you relate to any of that? You, cause you mentioned you, you felt pretty, you think you had an isolated childhood. So, so we summarize. Okay. Yeah. That was a pretty rambling question. Wasn't it? Um, how different are you now than you were as an isolated homeschool child? <laughs> uh, I believe I'm I'm different. I might be less dis- different than I'd like to think I am. Um, uh, it might be difficult for me to articulate exactly what that feels like. I'm certainly more open in the way I, I'm... I express myself around people. Um, I think when I was a kid, I felt like everything I thought or everything I was feeling was like a secret. And I felt very cautious about who I shared my feelings with. I felt very guarded, you know, um, like I wanted to, I wanted to keep, you know, things about myself, like almost like a, almost like you would think of like paranoid, but also, but just in like a social atmosphere where it's just like, I don't want everybody to know, you know, what I'm actually feeling or what I'm actually thinking or, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, what I'm actually going through. But now, honestly, like I, I don't really care that much. You know, like I'm doing this, right? I'm going on a podcast where I'm just talking openly and candidly about who I am and, you know, what, yeah. I, what I, my process and what I think and everything like uh-huh. that. Um, so that's changed dramatically where now I feel like, I've come to a sort of a more under, under, better understanding of everybody has things. You know, everybody has life experiences and interesting things about them or just personal things. And so I'm like, you know, I don't really care, you know, if somebody knows whatever about me or knows my childhood or knows, you know, that I'm, I struggle with this or I, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't know. I, I'm just more open about expressing myself. I don't feel guarded. I don't feel like I have any like big secret that I don't mm-hmm. want to know about or anything. Yeah. That's, that's a major difference. That's okay. a very distinct one. Um, I feel like that also affects a lot of other areas in my life where in general, I just, I'm just more open. Um, and I guess that's just reiterating. What was the shift like that happened? Why did that become such a, a different thing? When did you change in that way? I think I realized it was a desirable attribute to have. Like I realized I wasn't going to make any friends or develop any relationships by being a guarded, closed person. And I wanted to make friends and I wanted to have relationships. I wanted to know people. And I realized, you know what? This is how you do it. You just, you gotta put yourself out there and let yourself be known and understood by other people. Hmm. Was that difficult to learn? Like if you came to a place where you realized it was a desirable attribute, was that all it took? You just 
figured that out and now you adjust or was it a big learning curve for you? I would say it's a learning curve, but emotionally and mentally, I don't think it was complicated. Once I made that mental realization, it was just a matter of, okay, now I'm going to start implementing this, but I don't think it's, it hasn't been challenging. The, the challenge, or if you can call it that would be just implementing it on more nuanced ways throughout my life Hmm. instead of just in particular instances. And so just finding ways to be more open and more honest and more vulnerable and and vulnerable might not be the right word because like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I often feel apathetic. So I'd also don't feel like I'm somebody who puts my heart on my shirt sleeve. Mm -hmm. There's an aspect of me that's still very guarded emotionally, like what I, with the things that I share with people are things that I don't feel like they could really hurt me. And part of that's just my own general emotional state, I guess. Um, whereas somebody else sharing the same things about themselves might, you know, very easily feel like somebody, you know, feeling like they're being vulnerable. Um, so do you, is it kind of, incidental that the things you share aren't making you as vulnerable as they might with other people or are you um do you think you intentionally make sure you control what you're sharing well i definitely control what i'm sharing yeah based on how vulnerable it would be for you sure um but with that also i feel like less things are actually um, vulnerable information. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I could share more things and not feel like I'm actually like putting myself in a compromising situation. Okay. Yeah. I relate to that. So even like personal details, like the other people might think are sensitive. I'm just less concerned with, I guess. Yeah. You're, you're, um, maybe not ceiling, but you floor, is already at a higher level for what um what's like i'm trying to figure out how to phrase this for me i share a lot with people because they it's it's difficult for me to give information that does put me in a compromising position for you for by sharing it um the level that I'm willing to go to that's just a normal level is high for a lot of people. Right. To me, it's, to me, it's a pretty ground level, um, in terms of talking about my emotions, talking about things I've been dealing with, not just small talk, but here are aspects of me that are true, that are truly me. Here are things that are happening in my life that are important. Here are things that I actually care about. Um, or things that I've actually struggled with. Those things are normal conversation for me. Yeah. Um, but I know that's not necessarily the case for everybody. Uh, maybe it would be, I think. It's probably... I think we could do better with making that normal. I think more people would be comfortable with their, their level going up if we actually tried if we mm-hmm. pushed that, that's kind of what I'm doing here too. Like just potentially talking to anybody and inviting them to discuss deep things. 
um, because I think most people uh, want to to do that. I think most people want to have deep conversations that go beyond uh, the game that was on last night or what the weather is supposed to be like on this weekend. Um, I, I do think most people want that, but we're very out of practice. For me, this kind of conversation is something I have to practice. And maybe it's easier because I already feel the way that I do, and I already don't feel very vulnerable most mm. of the time. Um, for me to share my emotions and how I'm really feeling about things, whatever those emotions are, that's normal for me. I don't know why exactly, but it, it doesn't put me in a compromising situation to share those things, whereas other people might feel differently about it. Sure. Like talking about money. Mm. I would pull up my phone right now and tell you exactly how much money is in my bank account, how much I have on my loans. Like, I don't care about those things. That yeah. doesn't matter to me. You don't have power over me because I share that information because I don't care about that information. Mm -hmm. And that's how most things are with me. And I think a lot of that has to do with like representation. You feel like a lot of people feel like they're being judged based on, you know, how much money they make or what's in their account or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but honestly, like a lot of people I've met, like I know it's like a taboo to like tell people how much money you make or people asking. It's impolite to ask people how much yeah. money they make. Mm -hmm. But uh, from my experience, I found that people are generally fairly nonchalant with that kind of information. Like it's, it's a social taboo, but it's not one that's necessarily, how would you put it, practiced by most people that I've encountered. You know, mm -hmm. it's like most people are like you ask them how much they make, they'll, they'll give you at least a rough number pretty freely. Um, I don't know. I make twelve fifty per hour. If anyone's wondering, twelve fifty per hour. Yeah. Um, I would say, except I really don't know exactly how much I make per hour. Yeah. Are you a salary employee? Or I'm not. I'm hourly. Okay. I think it's something like 15. Okay. Um, but uh, it, it all fluctuates and varies, and yeah, I don't really yeah. care all that mm -hmm. much, honestly. It's like, I mean, yeah. Obviously, I want to make more money, uh -huh. but <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Um, do, you, do you think... Do, do you agree? you think most people would be okay pushing further like extending their boundaries for what they're willing to talk to in regular conversation day to day with people say that again do you think most people given the opportunity would be okay um increasing the level of vulnerability in their everyday conversation By providing a medium? Um, no, just by, I guess... Or just inviting them to do so. Inviting them to do so, okay. yeah. Or do you think that maybe there's good reason? No, you know, you, that's interesting, actually. Um, most people, I think, have a desire to be seen and heard. They want people to see them, even if they're not really willing to share you know it's kind of one of those things where, like people are very self-conscious and they want it's a desire for intimacy whether it's somebody um, 
actually being being very close with somebody or just being understood, you know. So that's that's a, a sort of a natural desire that a lot of people have. Most people, I think. Mm-hmm. So in a way, yes, I think people would generally be happy with the opportunity to have a comfortable situation, you know, um, place where they can actually, you know, just be more vulnerable in general. Um, and I think people seek out those opportunities in different ways or not. Social media isn't a good one for that. Uh, it's really easy for people to be misunderstood on a, any kind of text based platform Mm -hmm. and that's you see that all around you happens all the time you know so i guess within that you're you're looking at more of a a personal social atmosphere and some people have more of that in their lives than others for sure and then that also comes back to how willing you are to put yourself out there and be extroverted and make physical relationships with people Mm -hmm. you know personal relationships so I I don't know that's kind of a nuanced question. Yeah. Um people can have opportunity to do so if they want to. I guess if you're talking about like approaching people casually like on the street or in a gr- group or whatever and just sort of asking questions that are a little bit more personal on a personal level than what you would typically do. Um I think actually the, the, the result has in my limited experience has been surprisingly yes. Like people actually kind of appreciate someone who's a little bit more specific and a little bit more what's the exact word? Um I don't know. Are you spe- interested are you... in them as a person? Yeah. yeah. I guess. Would be sort of like the, the safe comfortable level of you know, describing that. You know, just a little bit more of a who are you as a person, not just what do you think about this, you know? Yeah, and asking direct questions is the best way, I think, to go about showing that interest. Yeah, and yes, I think that that's, that's something that people would open up to because not everybody does mm-hmm. ask those questions. Not everybody engages on that level. Do you? I appreciate it when people do. Like I said, I don't do like small talk. So yeah. <laughs> anytime I can get a conversation like that going, I'm much happier. Do you, uh, like, do you find yourself in a lot of situations where you have that opportunity to ask those direct questions and start those conversations? I'm always seeking out those opportunities. Okay. Um, if ever I'm at a get together, um, like for example, the bonfire we were at the other day, um, there's a big crowd of people, everybody's talking, everybody's like forming like little groups where they talk. I generally feel a little bit like not involved unless I can actually strike up a conversation with like one or two people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always seeking out those opportunities of someone trying to find somebody else who's interested in just having a a more interesting conversation, a more, you know, in deep conversation maybe. I don't know if that sounds like super over the top that terminology no i don't think (laughs) it really doesn't manifest itself that way it's really just asking something a little bit more than how are you doing what was your day like yeah um and giving space for uh thought uh, a well thought through answer because 
there's not five other people who are also correct needing to still answer the question yeah you know? that it, makes sense yeah you're right it's it's it can be super casual um it's it's just having that that space where you have the opportunity to actually share mm-hmm. you know more freely yeah like uh, i yeah. um one of the people who i talked to individually a little bit while i was there was joseph i don't know do you know joseph french yep yeah um i don't know how we got on the subject i think we were talking about like getting up in the morning and i've been wanting i think we we're talking about language and i've been trying to keep my um concordance and into the new bible by me when i read in the morning mm. because i am of the opinion that we don't question what we're taught enough and we don't understand um, enough of the things that we say we believe. And I, before I say that I believe things now or that I know something is true, Mm -hmm. I want to actually dig into it. So if we're talking about the Bible and there's so many things that people are told about what the Bible says, usually we leave it there. Oh, my pastor said this. That must be, I mean, it's probably in the Bible. He's a pastor, right? Um, I'm someone who wants to say, okay, I know that those words are in the Bible. What do they mean? Right. What is actually being said? Um, so me and Joseph were talking a little bit about that, about specifically uh, the word sinner. Mm-hmm. You grew up in the church or if you didn't, you've heard the word sinner a lot. And recently I've been wondering if that's actually a word that Jesus used much, or if it was just a word that like all the religious leaders were using. And so far, in what I've been reading, firstly, the, the word does sinner it carries a lot of um, interesting connotations. And I think it's an interesting way to translate it. So, in the Greek, it's like, uh, I don't remember the Greek, so I'm not going to try. But in the Greek, it's an adjective. It's not a noun. It's an adjective that more directly seems like it would be better translated as sinful. So, full of sin. Or, um, yeah. Which, sin then being literally missing a mark so here's a standard you missed it that was something you did the word sinner carries this identity to it i think for a lot of people it's something you are it's not something that you do right and i don't think that's the meaning of jesus's words i don't think that christians should be telling people you are a sinner because the way in our modern context that's perceived is this is your identity. This is who you are, not you do this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing you do is wrong, which maybe that is the intended meaning. But we've lost that, I think, in in church culture, sure. in preaching culture. When we use that word all the time, when we sing it in songs, it's a very commonplace word. And we're not taking the time and effort to dig in and ask, 
what's the word that's actually used in the book that we claim to believe? What does it mean in context? What did what did the people who were saying it mean? Mm-hmm. And I want to ask those questions and understand that better. Um, I'm always very happy to be the person who gets the opportunity to open up that conversation with people. It sounds, it probably there's probably people who will listen to this podcast and be like, "This guy sounds really." bitter about religion and i'm like i'm not bitter about religion i don't think i am but i'm just i i feel convicted to move people forward Mm -hmm. and if we've been believing the same things for however many hundred years and not questioning them i want to be someone who questions sure and so much of my religious experience has been um seeing myself and other people go wrong because of um, believing things in a way that is just kind of twisted in, in a certain way that actually causes more harm than good. Um, and I think a lot of people have had that experience with the church or with religion or Christianity specifically. So I, I like to try and push against that what what was your and so that was that was also my way of leading into let's talk about spiritual things so you grew up in the church you grew up going to church originally you said assemblies of god right yeah how long were you at that one before you moved to a non-denomination probably about a year a year okay maybe two okay have you identified with a specific denomination i do not know no um My family growing up had a wasn't really tied to any particular denomination. I think, I think my mom grew up in Assemblies of God. My dad grew up in Baptist Church, um, but they were kind of all over the place. And I didn't really actually go to church consistently until I was probably like ten. Uh, my little brother had some health issues, and so they were concerned about like going out, bringing him out in like public spaces a lot and groups of people. So, um, so probably when I was about ten, I was that's when we started actually like going out and going to church and we'd sort of bounce around from church to church. Um, my mom would be- read the Bible to us when we were kids, uh, but they didn't really like impress any particular theology on us. I think it was kind of left to like, just read the Bible and, you know, figure it out, I guess. So, I mean, that was detrimental in some aspects where as a, or as a kid, first going to church whenever the, the the preacher would talk about particular things i sort of just subscribed to whatever they were preaching because i thought that was sort of like the default like that's what you know obviously like they were saying it that's that must be true kind of thing um i thought that's what whatever they were teaching was i thought was what defined christianity but then later on when i went to a few different other places and i heard a, people saying things that contradicted what the other person would s- preach i was like Oh, so then I started actually questioning things. I started actually, you know, reading the Bible for myself and figuring things out and actually figuring out where I stood on things. Um, so Assemblies of God for a couple of years, like, I'm, I don't think I really connected as much with, with that church. Um, they tended to be, well, it was more structured. It was a more structured denomination, obviously. I guess some of that kind of turned it off to me. I kind of prefer a more free-flowing, open atmosphere. And 
situation where it's like a very established denomination that pastor has gone through their Bible school specific to that denomination and been approved to preach. It, it, it feels, it doesn't quite line up with my view of, of biblical Christianity. I feel like it feels very confined, very confined, very, um, credentialed and official. Like we've created a, a business hmm. out of it, you know? And uh, yeah. Yeah. So we went to a nominational, which was good in some respects. Um, obviously that's where I met more people that were homeschooled that had its own issues. I mean, it was, it was much more free flowing, but also uncontrolled and unconfined. And there was a lot of people that believed a lot of very different things all put in a church together. So what they would do is they would have uh, they'd have worship. They'd have a message by, they didn't have a pastor. They had elders. And so it could be one or two different people that might be preaching, whatever. And then they would always have food every day, which was great. Everybody would bring food and hang out afterwards. Mm. It was at a community building. It wasn't an official church building. And they would, everybody would just ch chat. All the young people would probably go off by themselves and, you know, have a, the young people table where they don't fellowship and, get, you know, do, do whatever they're doing. And then the older people would pretty much sit around and argue about theology. And that's just sort of what they did every day. So it lended itself to a lot of divides and splits with leadership disagreeing theologically with other people. And, um, but a valuable thing that I learned from that was understanding the Bible for yourself and the value of, um, having a grasp on what you actually believe and also being able to recognize when I'm around Christ other Christians, where they're coming from when they say something, which is valuable to an extent. Um, I don't like to get into the nitty gritties of theology and what the Bible is actually saying on specific things and on a very like, super, like on a level that's, that can be negative where it's like you divide people based on like nuances and theology. I don't like to, I don't like to get onto that level. I like to stay on, here's the gospel. You know, we all love Jesus. That's great. And then add on to that, you know, this is what faith is and things like that. But I don't like to, I don't like to, create disagreements or divides along the lines of nuances that none of us really have any idea about like you know so a big one for example was calvinism or arminianism it's a really common one it's mm -hmm. been around for hundreds of years people have been disagreeing about that for ages i don't like to get into that because honestly like you know who knows who can know you know we still haven't figured it out fine but don't let's not you know fight over it you know and that was that was something that that happened in that particular church where they divided over that particular topic and it was messy and nasty. And anyways, so what I learned from all of that was, um, just a more into like learning to think for myself and just learn for myself, read the Bible for myself. And I enjoy that probably most of all, um, just reading the Bible. So I, I know I've been ranting and sort of rambling, but, to bring it back to what you said about the nuances of like one word and learning what it means and looking it up and then changing your perception of basically your understanding of Christianity based around like the actual meaning of a word. Um, I haven't done that as much, but I have got come to the same or very similar conclusion from just sort of reading across the Bible and seeing application mm -hmm. spread out. Yeah. You know, 
where I might not have looked at the word sinner and identified that it was a, it wasn't as much a state of being as it was a continuation of actions, but I can identify in a place in Isaiah, and I'm not going to quote the scripture because I don't, or reference it because I don't exactly know where it is, but it's, God talks about, you know, if a righteous man repents of his sin and, or if a, if a righteous man starts sinning, I will no longer, you know, consider the righteousness that he did in the past. Or if a sinful man turns to righteousness and repents of his sin, I will no longer consider the sin of his past. You know, it's, so it's very, I can identify in that in scripture and scripture like that, that the way God judges and considers an individual is by the state of their heart, not what they have or have not done in the past. So you can identify the same description or definition of sinner based on what you just said and it, you can see that how it kind of lines up you know it's kind of the same thing but you get that from two different places you like studied the word and you identified it the nuance of vocabulary um and me just identifying its usage throughout scripture and seeing you know where it's used and how it's used mm -hmm. so yeah it's, it's, it's interesting i like to i like to i like to read the bible and read like massive swaths of just stories and learn about the character of God and the prophets and what he said and how he felt and sh him sharing his emotions. It's very rich, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I like to read the Bible that way. I just sort of like this overarching. And then when you read Genesis and you read the prophets and everything, you sort of get this picture of the history of God's relationship with humanity and what it looks like. And I really enjoy that a lot. You enjoy reading the Bible? I do. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's such a weird thing I think to hear. It can be difficult for me to enjoy reading the Bible. Mm. Um, I get in different moods. I'm reading uh, through Luke right now, and we'll move on to Acts after that. And I, that's one of the sections of Scripture that I think is easier for me to have a good time reading because it feels like a really cool story. Um, I love the book of Genesis. I'm usually reading through the book of Genesis. But, man, it's a big book. Just the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's a big book. And it's very old. And it is written and spoken in a way that we're not used to. It feels very foreign. And I think that's a big hang-up for people a lot of the time. Mm. Because it requires work. If you're going to read it well, just like if you're going to read Shakespeare well, you need to put some effort into how you're reading it hmm. to understand what's being said. Um, yeah, it's an, it's quite a book. Is that, would you say that is a, a primary way that you relate to or commune with this God is through reading that book? Yes. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of different theology surrounding that but reading the i consider the bible as uh, scripture and what jesus refers to in revelation as the spirit of prophecy he talks about the, the testimony of jesus christ is the spirit of prophecy obviously in the bible there's a lot of prophecy but it's a lot of stories of people in their relationship with god and god talking about himself and what he's like the prophets is god's relationship with israel a lot of the times um, you have the gospels where it's stories of Jesus, Acts, stories of the apostles, Genesis, stories of creation and the world developing and changing. 
Um, so what's fascinating to me most of all is the overarching consistency in the Bible. And it's like, you can argue about whether you consider the Bible to be the infallible word of God or the inspired word of God and nuances like that. I'm less concerned about that. But what I see when I read the Bible on an overarching level is how extremely consistent it is about the character of God, whether you're reading Genesis or you're reading Acts, no matter who is writing the story, the nature of God seems to be extremely consistent. And that speaks volumes to me about the accuracy of the Bible, because I I read about the same God and he's doing the same types of things. His character seems to be very consistent, no matter who or over the course of, like the Bible's written over hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Hundreds of hundreds of, you know, different cultures and writing styles and ways of communicating and shifts. And still it's, I feel like it's representing the same God over the course of all of that. And that's Mm -hmm. amazing to me. Like if you wanted to, like a lot of people say like, it's, you know, stories of God, but oh yeah, but it's all written by men and it's been through several translations and never it's like, okay, but the fact that it's as consistent as it is speaks volumes to me about how inspired it is by God. And yeah, that's why I believe in the Bible as, you know, being the word of, you know, as being, I guess, the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm hesitant to say word of God because it talks, and Johnny talks about Jesus being the word of God. Um, Anyways, but yeah. Yeah, it it is funny that that the fact of the Bible being written by lots of different people is usually used as um, an argument against it Mm -hmm. when it seems the opposite to me, that for that many people over that many years to be able to write something that is dialoguing so consistently with itself is so compelling because mm. there's it's that's a very that's a completely unique thing in the world right there isn't anything else that does that um that to me is compelling um yeah it's it's quite a book <laughs> was it um I don't know if I already asked this. Did, did that was that a change? When did it become for you something you wanted to do? Was actually reading the Bible and that became something you enjoyed outside of just hearing somebody else talk about it? I think from a very early age, when I was about from the time I was about ten, before I consider myself to have like become a Christian. Like obviously, I knew about God and I'd heard about God but I always had this very strong conviction that I wanted to know God. Um, and then being, I, I had the, I've had the awesome blessing and opportunity to be around some people that I consider to be extremely um, powerful in their faith and very passionate in their faith and uh, have been very close to God for you know decades and some older believers that I know that are just, awesome to witness like the level of faith that they have and the relationship with God that they have has been very inspiring to me. And so I always had this desire, you know, having met those people and been around those people growing up to, I want to know God the way that I read people in the Bible knew God. Like it doesn't seem right to me reading about Moses and God coming down in a cloud and speaking to him face to face, like a man speaks with his friend and thinking, 
okay, if he got to know God that way, why can't I, you know? Mm-hmm. It's hard. We don't know a lot of people in the church that really do know God that way, even people in leadership in the church. You know, like, there's sort of this expectation of how far you'll go in your faith as a Christian based on the people around you, based on what you've seen. Um, thankfully, I've had the opportunity to witness some people who are very, um, very strong in their faith, and that's been tremendously inspiring. And so I feel like, like, like that's available to me because I've witnessed it in other people. And I've, I, I believe from reading the Bible that there's no reason it shouldn't be available to me to have a close relationship with God, to be able to connect with God in prayer, reading the Bible, to have experiences um, with God on that level, you know, that, that, that I read in the Bible. Like there's no, re- no, no, nothing I read that says I can't. And there's plenty of opportunities to say, like, people did this. So I'm saying, like, if you have the faith to believe that that happened, that those people met God in those ways, that miracles happened, you know, that Elijah and Elisha, you know, walked with God, and all the crazy things you read about God doing in them happened, the crazy things you read about the apostles, like, that those things happened. If you believe that those things happened, if you have the faith to believe that, then why not have the faith to believe that God can work in you in similar ways? or that you can know God on a similar level, you know? And so I'm just hung up on that. And so I believe like through, you know, reading the Bible and seeking God and prayer, prayer is a big one. But um, like, I just, I just don't think there's any reason why I shouldn't or why I can't. And from an early age, I've, I've had that desire of like, you know, if they can do that, why can't I, you know? It's like, I don't want, I don't want to feel like I missed out at the end of my life. Like, you know, like there was more that I could have experienced that I didn't because I just held back. And so that's kind of, that's kind of a big thing for me. Like if it's accessible, why not reach out? Why not take it if it's available? And I believe it is. So why not? Um, So yeah. Yeah. It's great. Why not? If it's there, take it. Yeah. Uh, Man. I don't think we ask that question very much. Maybe it's because we don't feel, we don't see that many people who are doing that. Right. So we don't have examples so much of people going before us doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I love the Isaac Newton quote. He said, he's attributed as saying, if I have seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Um, if we don't have giants in our lives to look after and to stand on the shoulders of, why would we go in that same direction mm-hmm. you know um and it's sad that we don't have more giants we don't have more people we're looking at me like and who we look at and we think i want to be like that we don't have more moseses you know mm-hmm. moses who didn't have a bible by the way um or enoch mm-hmm. who didn't have a bible right. <laughs> or any probably written word of any kind um, that to me is fascinating. That stuff. Whenever people want to make relationship with this eternal being confined to very specific practices, I always go back to people like Abraham or Moses or 
Enoch or Adam. Right. I'm like, well, they didn't have any of this. So how can you say to me that it has to be this way? How can you say to me that people can't know God unless they know him in the same way that I do? Right. That bothers me. Yeah. That's something I really want to push against in the church because we are very quick to dismiss others and their relational experience of God mm -hmm. if it doesn't look like our experience of God. And our experience of God is primarily we read the Bible, we exist in the Western church body, and it looks a certain way. And if it doesn't look that way, we, we, we need you to readjust because this is what it's supposed to be. This mm -hmm. is what being a Christian is. I don't like that. Yeah. Christian, it's, very, it's very textbook based. It is very textbook. It's very boxy. It's a it's yeah. a checklist. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. It's 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 not supposed to be a checklist. Right. There's it's no like argument for that. You want the the raw actual relationship. Yeah. I want if there's there's some multi dimensional being that for whatever reason wants to have a relationship with me, I will not have that relationship by checking off boxes on a list of right. tasks that I complete. It's not a honeydew list. Yeah. It's it's a being who's trying to communicate with me. And depending on who I am, he may communicate differently. Mm. There are people who live and die without hearing the name of Jesus. Yeah. Who never know that there's a thing that we call the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, do I believe that that means they can't experience God? That would be ridiculous. Yeah, I think that would be ridiculous. That that's ridiculous. That that's that's me imposing my standard and my life and my culture and my context on people who do not exist in that context. Yeah, for sure. Like a uh, great example is like the Chinese church. It's like it's to this day it's very difficult to get Bibles into China, and so but there's millions of Chinese believers, and most of that has been spread with sharing the gospel but without actual like bibles as a reference you know but that goes to show you the power of the gospel and the power of god to where it's actually experiential where people experience god they feel the power of the gospel and it's not just a belief system it's because there, there's, there's there's no it's not like they have a bible and they read it and they said oh i'm going to believe this and this and this and this or somebody references like you should believe this this and this but it's like the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel is actually moving and accomplishing and doing things in a tangible way to make so many millions of people fall in love with Jesus and be saved and change because yeah, of that. Get to know a person. Exactly. And there are a lot of, I think, maybe this is completely wrong, but it's been, it's been something I've observed, I have observed in the church. I think there are a lot of educated western christians who would want to say yeah but their theology isn't complete mm. i think but what does it matter when you have a relationship with no God? your theology no. isn't complete either you, you're gonna i don't care who you are or what kind of seminary education you have are you gonna tell me that you have a complete understanding of this this multi-dimensional being that yeah. like spoke everything into existence are you, are you gonna tell me that like 14 billion years of of evolution that you get to experience in this little tiny blip of time that is your life, you understand that? Because 
you read a book that was written in a foreign language and then translated by somebody else and you understand it mm -hmm. you understand all that there are people there are too many people who have adopted the name of christianity and that is what it looks like for them it is i i have the way i figured it out right i need everybody else to figure it out in the same way i did sure i need it to look the way it does for me and that's a reason why it's so unattractive to so many people because so much of the world is diverse and growing and changing and people look around and are spurred on by change and see other people who are also growing and are convicted by that and want to move forward and then they see the church that looks the same as it did 500 years ago and it's like it, that's not compelling mm. so if i claim to serve an eternal god who by all rights would transcend all of that and i think that i'm growing but i'm not changing i think i must have blinded myself pretty badly mm -hmm. and i and i did i did um i think my views now on christianity would be would be uh, criticized by a lot of people because I want to kick against the goads yeah. all the time. Yeah. Because if they give way when I kick, then they're not strong enough. Then that foundation doesn't deserve to be there. Mm -hmm. If I can knock it over, then it's not of God. Mm -hmm. That that to me is a pretty important principle. If I can knock down that wall, God didn't build it. Um, and I've knocked down a lot of walls. Um, I say that to people all the time. Like, I mean, look, look, pastors disagree with each other. If I can disagree with a pastor and I can pull scripture to do it, then, I mean, that shows, I think, that we're not at the end of our understanding. For sure. And we should encourage people to ask questions and be okay with disagreement and be okay with uncertainty because the older I get, the more uncertain I am about everything mm -hmm. because I'm confronted with a reality that is just very far beyond me. Even if I didn't believe in any kind of spiritual world, if my understanding of the universe was limited to what I as a human am able to um, witness through scientific, the scientific method, even if that was what I was limited to, it's clear that the world exists beyond me, that there's stuff going on that is very far beyond my understanding, that there are dimensions outside of the ones I inhabit that I have no understanding of, that I have no ability to mm. touch or experience. Um, for me to claim understanding of those things is just really small-minded, I think. And I'm 25. Like, I, you know, if I were four times that age, if I were 100 and spent my whole life in school and 
studying and learning and teaching and communing with this God, I would still be a tiny blip in time existing in a fraction of the dimensions that are out there. Yeah. And that's just, that's something I really try to hold in mind now all the time. And it's been really helpful to me for myself and for the people around me, for my ability to love other people and find truth in the way that they see the world and the things they've experienced. Because I can remember my own limitation, my own um, lack of experience. Because I've only lived my life. So if somebody else has lived their own life and they tell me about their experience, I have no right to dismiss that because I only have my experience. That's all I have. And, man, I think we have lost sight of that in the church. It's very sad to me. Mm. It's very sad. Um it makes me really happy to get to meet people who can have this kind of a conversation and can back up and be like, yeah, wow, I don't, I don't understand everything and I'm okay with that. Um, too many people's experience of the church and people in the church is people who claim to understand it all. Right. And yeah, we do everyone a disservice when that's the way that we live. I do believe certain things, and I have convictions about certain things, but um, they don't make me dismissive of the other things that people have to say and things that people believe and experiences that people have. That was quite a tangent. For sure. But you know what? In spite of how vast all of the vast things, things you were just talking about, about how you could spend your entire lifetime studying and researching and you'd never be able to like completely understand the nature of God or who he is or everything in your the reality that's around us, you know? Reading the Bible, you get to see these stories of people like Moses or like Jeremiah, people who God said they were his friends. Mm-hmm. You know, he was close to them. He shared his heart with them. Like Jeremiah, it's almost like he's crying on Jeremiah's shoulder while he's talking about the judgments he's going to pour out in Israel. It's like, it's just, it's just the heart of God all throughout. And then you have Moses where God is actually like physically appearing and talking to him. And that's like a relationship that they had with God. Um, he calls Abraham his friend, you know, it's like humans and yet they don't understand everything. They don't have this comprehensive understanding of God and they don't mm-hmm. teach a comprehensive understanding of God, but they had a relationship with God to the point where God said, I know you and you know me. Yeah. Because point. like you can't, I, I don't think you can, you can't make God abstract like completely. You can't render him as an un, unknowable. Th- I mean, you, it's hard. It's hard to put in words because, because he desires a relationship with us, and that's evident in Scripture. And it's not necessarily that he desires to be understood perfectly, but he desires to be in communion with us, obviously. That's the entire purpose of creation and the gospel and Jesus coming to earth and is the desire for God to be with us and for us to be with him. So you, it's like in spite of all the lack of understanding that we have about the gospel, the truth remains that we can come to God and that we can 
maybe not understand God, but we can have a relationship with him and know him at least on, you know, in that sense and be known by him Mm -hmm. and have communion with him and have fellowship with him and hear his voice, you know, because that's the, if you look, if you really step back and you really look at the Bible, all of that is to that end that we would know and be known by God and that we would be with him. And that's his desire for us. And if yeah. that's his desire for us, then why are we not pursuing that? You know, it's like, that's the entire purpose of the gospel in the first place is that we would be with God. Why are we like holding back and just trying to, you know, understand from a distance when we could be, we're, we're trying to analyze something that's five miles away with binoculars when we could just be over there. Make you know. the trek. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. We we are very prone to building systematic theologies of things so that we can understand them and always say that we understand them. Mm-hmm. So here are the things you have to learn about it. You've learned these things, you're good to go. We do that a lot. <laughs> Makes sense though, right? At least on a certain level. Like, I don't yeah. Know. On that note, I like to talk to people about um, difficult things, I guess. Uh, So I ask some questions. There are some questions that I, so far I think I've asked every episode. Uh, One of them, which I, for my own benefit and the people answering the question i think i like to ask is what what's something that's very hopeful to you i like to understand that better because it helps me to be more empathetic to a people more aware of um others hearts That's a hard one for me. Because you're very even keeled and a lot of things roll off your shoulder. I mean, I haven't, I don't think I've really had a lot of traumatic experiences in my life. I don't like that's, that's kind of uncommon. Like most people do. Most people will have some event in their life. That's like, you know, it changes the the way they perceive the people around them or changes their life or Mm -hmm. whatever. And not to say that I haven't had certain instances that have certainly done that. It's just, I haven't had anything particularly painful happen in my life. Um, I think probably the things that hurt me the most are honestly, probably my own self criticisms, honestly, or beating myself up about embarrassing situations I may have had in relationships or things like that. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it's probably, it's probably that. Do you think, um, has that changed much? The level that the level, I guess the amount that you beat yourself up over those things. Um, Yeah. I think I feel like I've probably become more self-understanding or understanding of myself. It still happens though. Even things that have happened like five years ago, yeah. like I, I, I remember it's like, Oh, like 
that was embarrassing and oh I shouldn't have done that and that sucked and um, I don't have a relationship with that person anymore because I, something stupid I said or did or whatever um, or just you know blaming myself for whatever situation I find myself in life that's undesirable whether I don't think I'm productive enough or I not as close enough with certain people or you know, um, yeah, things like that. Things just, yeah, probably the most painful things are the things I, I work myself into from mm. my own mind, just self-criticism. Mm. Yeah. I relate to that a lot. I had a friend talk to me about, um, obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. and how it's actually, more about uh, mental patterns than necessarily physical habits, which are manifestations of those mental patterns. So it's very common if you have obsessive compulsive disorder, I guess, to, and I'm, this is me like passing on what somebody else told me to. I don't know how accurate this necessarily is, but this makes sense. But obsessive compulsive disorder is more characterized by an internal dialogue about things than an external. So often self-criticism, especially that continues on after an event, is very typical of that disorder. For me to just out of the blue remember something stupid I did a long time ago and start harping on it and thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Or to repeat conversations I had in my head because I don't think they were good enough or I made a mistake that here. Like all these moments that I can pick out from my life that I still recall so vividly because in them I was not living up to the perfect image of myself that I think I should be. Yeah, That's... That has definitely been my experience in life. That's that's a huge struggle for me. Um, I tell people that being in my head is like being in an echo chamber because there's so many thoughts bouncing around all the time. And often it's been hard for me to listen and pay attention to things because it's it almost feels or sounds in my head like I'm repeating the thing that's said a second after it's said, if that makes any sense. Sure. But that's kind of how I lived a lot of my life. Um, like you're constantly like critiquing your conversations as you're having them. Does it feel like that? Yeah, and not just me, but also just the words that are coming out of the other person's mouth. It's not like I'm absorbing it as it's happening. It goes into my head and it bounces around and then I repeat it. And I'm mm. like off a beat the whole time okay um it's all it's often been overwhelming and strange and made me feel uh, very broken um i wonder about that if i have obsessive compulsive disorder because of those things i tend to have a lot of patterns like that in my life that's obsessive patterns okay um the my brother that I had to spend most of my life with growing up that was closest to me in age, my older brother, um, 
he he had some definite uh, obsessive compulsive tendencies um the way they manifested like noticeably was just you know actually like just physical things like wiping your hands on a towel drying your hands a certain amount of time or doing things a certain way i think uh and in general, just sort of being very particular about the things around you and behavior of other people and sort of criticizing other people for doing something a certain way that didn't agree with, you know, uh, his particular, the way he did things. And, mm-hmm. and that came across like in, 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 you know, he's grown out of that as he's gotten older. Like that was strongest when he was younger. So I've only really ever been conscientious of obsessive compulsive behaviors as they manifest, you know, physically mm-hmm. that's typically what we what i've we never see, really thought about it as being like a, a mental thing but I, you know it makes sense yeah as a child i always uh before i was tall enough to touch the door frame i when i would walk through doors i had to jump up and i had to touch it a certain number of times before i could go through mm. and if i missed and went through it i had to back up and do it again wow yeah, yeah. i did that all the time or um if i was holding something elongated like a tv remote or a fork or a knife or anything like that before i could use it i would make myself flip it in my hands a certain number of times um usually like seven Mm -hmm. um because jesus you know (laughs) (laughs) um that that was something that i noticed a lot and to this day i'm very um particular about numbers when I okay. edit photos um, in software, usually all of the things you're adjusting are manipulated uh, with numbers. So you're moving around slides and changing things. So maybe before making an adjustment, shadows are at zero. You can move them negative 10 or positive 10 or arbitrary numbers like that. And for me, if you look at mine, they're all very, they all end up at certain numbers. Uh, I'm not going to stop at 23 because I need to go to 24 or I need to back up and stop at like 14 or Mm. 7 or 9 or 35 or 56 or 58 or 85 or 135. Like there's lots of specific numbers that feel significant to me. And so I stop at those places. I don't want to stop in between. It feels wrong. Interesting. It feels kind of irksome to me. So the way this manifests to most people who even who wouldn't be considered to be OCD is a classic example that I've heard from a lot of people is like TV remote volume. You know, you're adjusting mm-hmm. the volume on your TV. Do you want it to be on an even number or it has to be divisible by five? Very common. I hear it all the time. It's like it just bothers people when somebody's changing the volume on the TV and it's seventeen or yeah. thirteen. It's like make it twelve. It does make it me. fourteen or fifteen. If it's divisible by five, somehow that's you know it's an odd number, but it's okay because it's divisible by five. Yeah. Um. I think I I, I experienced that on a small level, but then I quickly recognized it and broke that. So now I don't care. Um, I'm I change the volume it. and it's 19, whatever. And it, it, it's really what it comes down to. I mean, honestly, honestly, it's like, it's a relatively small thing. Like, obviously for some people, it's more of a, it's more of a pattern in their mind than others. But I feel like, like if, if you make that conscientious notice of it, 
and then you make a decision to break it in an instance and then do that. Like it's, it's not a difficult thing. I don't think, but then I never really had it as a problem. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's more of a pattern for certain people. Um, I want to break it. I want specifically for me with just with working on photos. I don't want to limit my ability to manipulate this image to where I want it to be based on just, well, I don't like that number. (laughs) And that's what it is right now. So when I, when I make adjustments, I'm looking at the sliders and where they are Mm -hmm. and then the image and I'm looking back and forth. I'm not just looking at the image, grabbing the slider and adjusting and be like, okay, there's a good spot because then I might look over and it's at like 27. Mm -hmm. What is that? That's not good. 28. I got to stop at 28 and then I move it up a little bit. It probably doesn't make any noticeable difference. No, most of the time it doesn't. Yeah. Um, Not for that anyway, that kind of adjustment between 27 and 28 if I'm working on like a 100-point scale. Sure. Um, But it's requiring more mental energy from me, and it's distracting from the thing I'm actually trying Mm. to do, which in this case is uh, editing of an image, processing this photo. And that specifically is something that's made me want to to get better at that (laughs) yeah fair yeah so what's something what's something that you wish people understood about you for your own sake not necessarily for other people's benefit but for you what's something you wish people understood about you hmm um, I like to be approached by people. So, like I said, mentioned before, like I tend to, in in group settings, I like to sort of be on the outside looking in. I tend to like sort of be on the outskirts. I enjoy being approached by people and people like showing interest or attention. Um, and within that, I feel like when I'm in a conversation with people, I will match the energy that they're exerting. So if somebody is very charismatic, I will become very charismatic. If somebody isn't, I won't be. So that's me just picking up on people's characteristics and then just responding to them. But the truth of the matter is I'm willing to be outgoing and charismatic and I want to be. I just don't naturally pull myself into that state. I don't necessarily have the energy or the confidence, I guess, really, to be charismatic spontaneously and approach other people, but I'm definitely willing to when approached to be care, you know, to engage with people. Um, Why is that? Because for me, I think about it and I think I don't want to be too much for somebody. That's one of my deep set fears Mm. being too much. So if they're not ready for the energy level to go there, I don't want to be the one to do it. I don't want to push them. Interesting. That's a few that I I don't think I have exactly that mindset. Um, For me, it's more like, uh, I would say maybe like, I don't, I don't want to bother people. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want people to like, I don't know that they appreciate my approaching them. Yep. Or me engaging them. Mm -hmm. And so I wait for other people to approach me, which honestly is like, it's not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. It'd be better if I had more confidence and, you know, if, if, and just let people tell me, you know, if they, like, if they want me to, you know, not exert the same amount of confidence or energy or back off or whatever, just let them tell me and just, you know, move on. Because honestly, people, people think about your, your life and the people, you know, you appreciate people who have confidence. You appreciate the people mm-hmm. who are very outgoing yeah. and energetic. You like those people in your life. You like being around them. You like being friends with them, you know? 
because they have and they carry energy that you don't necessarily have and you like being around it. You like the feeling that it gives you. You know, it's contagious. Yeah. I wish that I and I also wish had I that. wish I also had that. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's just I don't partially due to the background, partially due to my personality, just the way I am currently, I don't have that kind of charisma and confidence. It's something that I'd like to think I'm working on, and I think I am. Um, but it's a desirable trait and something that I want to improve in myself for sure. So with that being said, like your original question, uh, what's something that I feel like other I want other people to know about me is I like being approached. I like being pulled out of my shell. Like I'm often a stick in the mud. I like to be picked out, out of the mud and thrown for the dog to go fetch. <laughs> <laughs> I like adventure. I like that's where I was doing random, you know, too. crazy things. I enjoy all of that. You know, sometimes I just need a push. Wow! Lesson for everybody listening: approach people <laughs> and challenge, because that's challenging for me. It's making me think, man, I, I need to do that more too. Man, what's something? So we meant we talked about hopeful things. What's mm-hmm. something that um, is just very? It really. It lights you up. It makes you very joyful. Talking about your relationship with Jesus. Like really? okay. Yeah, yeah. Like you saw me today. Like <laughs> I get excited whenever I get, whenever I'm around somebody who's actually like interested, and I can tell that they're interested, and they actually like. It's a relationship to them. They actually love Jesus on a, on a personal level. It's not just it's not, it's not just words. It's not just a theology. I don't like arguing theology, but I love talking to people about their personal experiences and their their understanding, like their personal relationship with Jesus. And I love seeing that spark you get in people when it's just like the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in me. And it's just like Jesus and it's just communion. And it's like, that's what the body of Christ is meant to be, you know? Man. Like that probably gives me more joy than any other single thing. Wow. Honestly. There was a lot of Christianese in that sentence. Okay. That. How can I That's great. <laughs> How can I de- de- digress that to make it more? No, clear? I'm sure that made sense to everybody. But I was um, just noticing all the words like Jesus, communion. No, no, no. I'm actually kind of curious. Okay, so. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah. that's easy enough for people to understand. And for anybody listening, if they didn't um jive that well with the with jive. the conversation so far i don't think like that would have been a problem okay so people like to talk about sports people like to say for people who are in sports i'm not into sports no i didn't grow up sports watching balls. sports i never played sports when i was a kid really i played soccer a little bit not anything professional on any level whatsoever but people who meet other people who are into the same thing that they are they like to draw energy and drive and they connect with people who are in the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. When you love Jesus and you have a relationship with Jesus, even on a level, but honestly it's about hunger. It's about how much, how excited you are when you to know Jesus and to learn more and to pursue that. When you connect with somebody else who has the same ambition and passion, it's contagious and it's exciting. Now that's just on a, a physiological, psychological level, maybe a pretty rough one, but I believe there's a lot more to that because it's honestly, it's also the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in me 
And so there's a whole actual spiritual level to that connection um, that's manifested. And I really enjoy that. So there's the non-Christianese, I hope, version <laughs> of what I just said before. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I really like making fun of Christianity and mm. Christians, I guess, specifically, because that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I identify as a Christian, so I feel like it's okay. <laughs> sure. And we're just, such a, we're just such a silly bunch, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of fun to be had. Um, and I'm very fortunate also to have been a part mostly of groups that also do that. Um, cause if you can't make fun of yourself, you need to learn how to, I think. Um, how do you feel about change? Is change difficult for you? Yeah, it's hard, but I'm all for it. Like, I'm. Yeah, you seem I like want to, the whole you know? conversation with you've been saying, like, I seek out I am change. actively working on myself to try yeah. to improve myself and make myself more the person that I would like to be, for yeah. sure. So you don't think you were finished at, like, 16 when you understood the whole world? Dude, I was, if anything, just getting started, and I was 16, 18. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I tend to look back at myself each year and think, man, last year, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing because every year I, I reach a further point where I think, okay, now I now I understand something. I get something about what I'm actually going toward. I'm I'm moving in that direction. And then I look back on where I was a year ago and I think, man, I had so far to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I get to say that. I'm so glad I have the presence of mind to look back at my former self. For one thing, for to have a former self and then not to just stay the current self, but to be able to look at it and say, wow, I had so much still to learn out of me. And that's great. And it, it reminds me that I have a lot that I'm probably going to learn in the next year. 2020 was incredible. It, it was a year of incredible growth for me and lots of change and um, certainly a measure of discomfort, but that's an opportunity to grow. And there's no reason I should expect 2021 to be different. 2019 Mm -hmm. was loaded with the same. 2019 was more difficult for me than 2020 by leaps and bounds. Um, 2020 was a year of lots of beauty and growth and blessings. And Mm -hmm. I'm very thankful for that. Um, hmm. Let me take out my notes. I didn't take any notes in this this conversation oh oh yeah sure i mean we're going for like what an hour and 34 minutes what's the longest podcast you've done so far you said an hour and 34 minutes sorry i meant two hours and 34 minutes minutes, yeah the longest conversation so far um it was like three hours yeah there's been a few of them yeah so far that i mean honestly we've gone for a lot longer than i thought we were like people were telling me like dude you don't have to go go for like three hours that's that's excessive whatever i mean i'm good i can we can keep going it doesn't feel like it's actually no it really doesn't which I mean that that makes sense to me. This this the format for this podcast is like a conversation. When you are hanging out with people and having a conversation, two hours is not a long time for sure. So, I think maybe with podcasting um, and a lot of different forms of really media and entertainment, the reason we put limits on it is because of the person who's consuming it 
yeah is in a more limited position it's difficult to consume two three hours of content of one specific mm-hmm. thing that's a large chunk of time um but yeah it doesn't feel like a long time to me now no. um i do want to start i want to when i the, the last episode i did i took i wrote down some like sections beforehand so it was easier for me to jot things down i didn't do those one but i do have questions here written down because i'm trying to think of some things um we answered a lot of these incidentally without specifically asking them oh i like this one what's something that you don't get to talk about often but you want to Uh, that may, I mean, a lot of the things we just talked about, honestly. Yeah. I mean, if we're, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. We listen to the conversation. We wind. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think could, could be different? Do you think you could talk about these things more often? Probably. Yeah. Um, How would, would you go about creating It would take a change? setting where I'm around people who are, you know, actually interested and having an extended and deep conversation, which yeah. happens at times mm-hmm. for sure. Like I've had these conversations before. It's not like, um, any kind of new exclusive revelation, but yeah, it's the things I enjoy talking about. And, and yeah, it doesn't happen all the time. And I, you know, it, sure. I'm curious if I'm going at some point, probably I would guess I'll have somebody on here who's not used to these kinds of conversations. So far, everybody I've had on are people I know are willing to have deep conversations. There are people who are not ready for deep conversations. Sure. And that's kind of my only um, requirement, I guess, a prerequisite for coming on this show is like, be ready to have a real conversation. Mm -hmm. This is not small talk. I'm not going to sit here and small talk for two hours Mm -hmm. with anybody. Because that what, what's the point? It's a waste of time. Yeah, it's a waste of time. Go go cook a really fancy meal. That you can you can cook you can, if you take two hours to cook something, you'd better come up with something good. <laughs> I don't know. Go, go do something. Go watch a really great movie. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to have small talk for two hours. So, I didn't send it to you, but so far I've been I've been trying to send out this email that I have written up for kind of what to expect from this, what the heart of this podcast is. And I mean, it it is, it's about digging into the things that are important, um, talking with people through their stories because I think they're impactful. Like, even if you're a normal dude who's like, I was just homeschooled and I work and I like, I go and I smoke cigars sometimes and I like whiskey and like, even if you have what you think is the most mundane life, you have a story that is impactful and you have thoughts on things Mm -hmm. that are worth sharing. And I want to be able to have these conversations with people. And I think most, I think, I think most people are starved for this kind of conversation. And I think a majority of those people are ready to have them, to engage in them. I think there are people who aren't. Here's a curious question. 
you're doing this podcast, do you believe that it's more beneficial through the process of having the conversation with someone or more beneficial to the people listening afterwards? Um, well, it's definitely very beneficial to me, but it's not limited only to that. It may be just as beneficial to the people listening afterwards, but I'm also listening. Mm. Like for me, this is a listening experience too. So they don't get to engage in the same way as a listener that I do, obviously. For sure. Like I'm helping lead the conversation. But the scope, I guess, is greater because potentially uh, millions of people could listen. Like it's just, it's on the internet. It's there for everybody to listen to. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's part of the reason I'm doing it is because I think this story, our stories, our hearts and minds should be shared more and the significance of them should be brought to light. I think we need to get over this ridiculous American idea that there's celebrities and there's normal people. Mm. There are people who have interesting stories and who are important and influential, and then there's normal people. I think that's ridiculous. But we're we're a very um, idolatrous culture. Yeah, yeah. I like to prop um, yeah. people up, for sure. We, we have Hollywood. We have these people... We have, we have sports players. We have these people who we put on pedestals and pay millions of dollars to um, to do these things that we hold up as very valuable. Sure. I mean, you look at a culture and what it does with its money, and you know where its heart is. Sure. What Americans do with their money is they entertain themselves. Mm-hmm. And those entertainers, the people who are doing it, are the most important influential ones in the world to, to I think, the average person in America. Yeah. At least on a surface level. I think we would all agree if pressed that we're all important and we all have value and we all have a story worth sharing. But on a realistic, practical level, most of us, I think, maybe a lot of us, have not really fully processed the thought of I am important and I am significant. And mm-hmm. my life actually changes the world. Because mm-hmm. in, in as a concept, I think most people would agree with that, the ripple effect. Like, oh, well, yeah, of course I've impacted the world in some way. But, I mean, I'm not, I haven't impacted the world like Tom Cruise has because everybody's heard the name of Tom Cruise. Sure. But it's like, well, what, 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 is, what is it they're getting from him? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because you are more meaningful to the people around you than Tom Cruise could ever be, even if they all know him. Yeah. In the sense that you have more direct impact and influence through your interactions with the people around you than somebody that they've never met but seen and heard of. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So in answer to your question, I guess, I think potentially this is equally as impactful for the listeners as it is for me. But there's more listeners than just me. Mm. So potentially a thousand, a million people, whatever, could be as impacted by one conversation I have as I am. And some of them will be more because each individual person that I interview, their story is going to speak differently to everybody. There may be something you said in this conversation that somebody's going to hear and they think, wow, I've never thought of that. That changes something in my life now. Mm-hmm. Something about my perspective or, or my way of living is now going to change because of what this person said. 
Um, so I get to experience all of those, but I'm viewing these conversations through my lens and everybody else is going to have a different lens that they're looking at it through. So I think I do, it's not, I don't think it's lost on me the significance of just the scope of lots of people being able to listen to this. Cool. Yeah. So what does, we? this is another question that we've kind of already answered, but I'm, I want to unpack it a little bit more potentially um, because there's lots, I think, of nuances that this can take. But what does spirituality look like for you? Because for me, I could say, obviously we've talked about that subject, but day to day, that can mean for me, for me, if you ask me that question, well, I'll talk for a little bit, give you a little. Sure. Something to go off of. For me, yes, I I read the Bible and I look at Greek and Hebrew words and study. But if you took that away from me, I wouldn't now not be spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, waking up in the morning and hearing the birds that like, I think are nesting outside my window and like opening the blinds and seeing them fly off is a spiritual experience and walking through the woods and hearing what nature sounds like is spiritual and um, feeling the wind. I love the wind. (laughs) I absolutely love the wind. My happiest, the best days to me in terms of what the world can look like around me, the the environment I'm in, are just these beautiful, warm, blustery, maybe blustery seems to carry the connotation of cold. These warm, windy days, like wind that whips things around. Mm -hmm. I love that. I don't know why, I just do. I absolutely love that. Uh, Looking at the ocean, a lot of times recently, I very often throughout my day, I close my eyes and I just see and I hear the ocean kind of crashing against the beach and in my head. And um, I think about the stars and the vastness of the universe and all the, that just hugeness of the world in which we live. And that reminds me of the God that I serve. And to me, all of that is bigger and more transcendent than all the specific words I read because Greek is amazing and it's so cool to read Greek words and be like, oh, this is what this meant in that language that they were actually speaking at the time. But a million years before that, Greek wasn't a thing. And there's there's something about the, the transcendent nature of existence that just like it brings me back down. And it really, it helps me to be okay and to mm. be still and to be at peace. So reiterate the question. 
what does spirituality broadly, what does that look like for you in your life? Because I don't think it starts and ends with just you reading the Bible. No. Um, I... I feel like it's mostly for me, it's, it's mostly uh, in the form of like contemplation and prayer. And what I mean by that in one sense is I'm often reflecting on my life and um, this is heavily based on, you know, things, things like what I read in the Bible or what I read from biographies or testimonies of other people and people's experiences. Um, but reflecting on just sort of the, the nature of our temporal existence or a way. Okay. So how limited our lifespan is in the world, you know, we only have like what 80 years, maybe if we grow up, if we grow old mm-hmm. and then just sort of reflecting on just the frailty of, of, of life that we have and understanding within that, that there has to be more to our existence, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that's not just like the question of, you know, is there a God, but like knowing there is a God and pursuing that, pursuing God, but also just understanding like the world around me. And when I look, when I look around my world, understanding that it's like it, it, the things that we so easily get wrapped up in that we think are valuable. Um, but an exercise that I often like to do is to step back and think about the impact that each thing has and what really has meaning. So the things in my life that I practice that actually have meaning, that actually benefit, that actually make a difference. Um, what things are just to pass the time for my entertainment to make a day go by and what things actually have importance and significance and meaning that I do. Um, and just sort of contemplating that. So I don't know if that makes any sense what I just said, but spirituality pursuing God for me looks like just meditating on the things I know about him and seeking revelation for just more. So reading the Bible and then praying about it, praying like, okay, God, show me, show me what this means. Show me what this, I want to know you like this, you know, um, when God says, this is, this is, I'm like this, X, Y, Z, blank. I'm like this. I do this and say, God, I want to know that about you. You know, I want to have that understanding about you. Um, I, I don't know where else, like experience, like you're talking about like daily practice or. Yeah. It's, it's kind mean, of, that... it's kind of a broad question. Yeah, it is. And I'm not looking for necessarily a certain okay. answer because um, it's going to look different for everybody. So you were speaking out of your heart of what that means to you. Okay. Um, so that's what I'm going for, I guess. The, I, I feel like that the, the expression of Christianity and the, the, um, the thing that I pursue the most is pursuing a relationship with Jesus within my own life and cultivating that. 
not so much um, trying to live to a certain example or standard. Um, I'm, my, 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 my faith isn't at the, isn't to, isn't expressed by only just like what, what I do or what I don't do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not faith. It's, that's just works. That's just trying to, you know, be a better person for the sake of being a better person necessarily. You know, that's, that's kind of, I, I don't know exactly you know, like where you would define that, but my, where my heart is at when I feel like I'm pursuing God is I want to know what he's like. I want to know his heart, you know? Um, and I believe that that actually changes me. That has the power to change me and how I actually do behave. The things I actually do that, that, you know, when the more that I see him and know him, that will directly affect then who I become. Mm-hmm. I like that. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Do you have any recommendations for people? Um, this is, we'll end on on that note. On, on recommendations? Yeah. No, this can be anything. Okay. This can be um, bananas. Like, I recommend yes. bananas. They're great, you know? Bananas are pretty fantastic. I know a yeah. couple of people who absolutely hate bananas. Really? It's something I don't understand. I mean, no, how can I you hate understand a banana? That. But um, if you were, if a million people were listening to this, and you were like, this is something I recommend... Oh, no pressure. <laughs> pressure. Ooh. Hmm. I think I, most of all, I like, I recommend people getting out of their shell and just meeting new people and experiencing new things. Hmm. I think that's something that I value in other people that I'm around a lot is their willingness to just try something new for the sake of trying something new. Having that mentality to not be caught up in only what they've experienced. And just being, you know, just a little bit more loose, a little bit more carefree, you know? Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. That's a great recommendation. And that that applies to a lot of things. Yeah. You know? Um, applies to your faith and just like, are you willing to actually pursue farther than you've thought possible than you've known? Like, or, you know, in your, just your social life, are you willing to expand the people that you know, or the depth of the relationships that the people you have? Um, yeah. Nice. Just be willing to pursue harder and farther than the limitations that you thought that you had. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Uh, what's something that's really funny to you? Ooh, I've kind of a dark <laughs> sense of humor, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. I want to end every episode with this. I want to end every episode with a recommendation and then something that just makes people laugh. So far, every episode has ended with laughter. Okay. Well, that's a hard expectation. No, I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but just what's something that you just really find funny? It can be something happened this week that made me laugh and it still makes me laugh. Or it can be a joke that you have or like whatever. Don't overthink it, you know? Um, at work, I like to create create jokes. Um, I have a, a, a running system right now where every time I get up to go home and 
I'll say to the people who are still still around me, I'll say this like a get close to the mic. Uh, um, like I'm about to. It's the same joke line as make like a tree and leaf. Only uh-huh. I'll come up with a variation on that. Like make a make like a baby and head out, or um, make like a C-section and cut out of here. <laughs> and I'll try to come up with a new one every 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 time. You know, so well, there'll be a different joke. Um, and that, that's been that's been pretty popular. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people enjoy that. So I enjoy just throwing a curveball at people and coming up with a new joke. That's funny. I don't know if that's. A, I, I like saying those ones, but in ways that don't make sense. Like, yeah. So like, like make like a tree and get out of here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I need to come up with something more now. No, that wasn't terribly substantial. Um, I feel like I've set this precedent that every episode has to end with actual boost of laughter. An actual boost. And I feel kind of bad because. I'm now putting that pressure on people, like mm. going into the episode with that expectation, like, all right, we're winding down. We better laugh. It's not a bad thing to do, though. No, I mean, laughter is great, but we could have already had it. It could be in there, and I'll just cut it to that, but I don't know. You know, it's kind of like a beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. One of the podcasts I used to listen to... Um they would end the episodes with like i think they did a recommendation and a and a joke and like a dad joke okay all right one of them was um i went to the zoo recently Mm -hmm. i mean it wasn't it wasn't much they didn't even i mean they only have one animal it was a dog and it was a shih tzu Can you get it? Oh. Okay, I got one. <laughs> All right, so uh, a chicken walks into a bar. Yeah. And the bartender's like, what is this? Is this a joke? Like, we, we, don't, we don't do jokes around here. You better go to the bar across the other side of the street. Okay, so you can get that. It's like the chicken across the road. Jokes. Oh. Yeah, it's making a <laughs> <pretty> on that. <laughs> like, why did the chicken cross the road? Yeah. Yeah, I, I get, get to that. the other side. Yeah. That's why the chicken crossed the road, because the bartender told him to. Yeah, because the bartender told him to. Yeah. Because he, he didn't serve jokes. <laughs> <laughs>